watching the game right now the Chargers in Kansas City this is going to be a fun one that's for damn sure as we see suck for the duck Justin Herbert versus Patrick Big Daddy Mahomes 631-672-3108 is the number you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com download our app on iOS WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what's up, man? Well, they didn't have to suck too much. They just had to get out of a season where they were just hurt the whole time, and they were able to get the number six pick, and glad the Dolphins stuck to their tank for Tua plan. Otherwise, the Dolphins would have adjusted Herbert, and the Chargers, who knows what Well, well let's not attack Tua, because Tua looked good week one. We'll see if he could do that throughout this season against the better teams. Uh, obviously, they played the Patriots. Nobody expects the Patriots to be a top-end team in the AFC. I, I think they're a borderline team. They're a middle-of-the-pack type of team. We'll see what they could do uh, this week. But we will get into week number two. We'll go through each and every game and our thoughts to every single game. This game could be the game of the week, and right now it's 10-7. Uh, Chargers, uh, obviously Justin Herbert is outplaying Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes just took it all the way down the field to score the first touchdown of the game for Kansas City. I think this is going to be a high-flying game. It was a terrible move by me starting the Chargers defense, so there you go. Anyways, uh, at 10 o'clock, we'll be talking SB Nation, Niners Nation, staff writer Jordan Elliott. He'll be joining us. We'll talk about the 49ers and the lack of offense last week from their rookie quarterback. So we'll get into what he thinks this team needs to do this week against Seattle, a team that they should knock off. But, again, the Broncos were supposed to knock them off, and it didn't happen. But we'll get into that. Sandy Alderson steps down, not surprised, as as the president of the New York Mets, will stay with the team as as an advisor. Obviously, he's very close with Steve Cohen. Everybody knows he has a very big and a very close connection with Steve Cohen, and that's why he took the job back when Steve Cohen bought the team from the Wellponds. Uh, he was only there for a little bit of time. We'll see where the Mets go. Uh, they are interviewing for positions, as Josh Silverberg was telling me. He was the first person to enlighten me on this, but enlighten me. I'm sorry. Um, Suns owner Robert Sarver suspended one year after racial incentive remarks but not forced to sell the team. And everything, and we'll get into this with LeBron James. LeBron James had his own thoughts to it. Not surprised that LeBron James has a big mouth and he doesn't know when to shut up. Um, Zach Britton, not likely to return until postseason. Luis Savarino possibly back 
next week. So that's a good sign for the Yankees. They get another starter, you move him into the bullpen, and you make him a long relief pitcher in the playoffs. So that's a good move. Uh, previewing, we will preview the Rangers and Islanders season and the outlook of the season for both teams a little bit later in the show. And Jamal Adams out for the season with a torn quad. So there you go, everybody. All the Jet fans out there that were crying that we, we traded Jamal Adams, even though we robbed him. Yeah. We robbed Seattle. But nevertheless, he is out for another season. And we'll go through our week two picks, and we will give you our incentives on why you should follow our picks throughout the season. So there you go. So why don't we get into the number one story, which I never mentioned on the list we were getting into. Mike Francesa, this week on his podcast, announced he has an inside source telling him that the New York Jets could be sold in the next year. That the Johnson family, Woody Johnson, might be thinking about parting ways with the New York Jets. Now, there are a bunch of New York teams that have become available. The New York Knicks and the New York Rangers in the next two years could be available by James Dolan. There are sources saying that. The Mets were just sold to Steve Cohen about two years ago. The only teams right now that we haven't heard anything about, at least selling-wise, is the New York Giants and the New York Yankees. This is not a crazy story. Woody Johnson's been trying to move the New York Jets over the last couple of years before he signed in on MetLife Stadium with the Giants. I think it was a 12-year lease. And I think right now, Woody Johnson's not happy with this team. Woody Johnson's so into the politic end of it when it comes to the world and what's going on in the world. I don't think he cares much about this football team anymore. He bought the team for, I think, if I'm not mistaken, $1.7 billion. He could sell the Jets right now for double or quadruple the amount of money that he bought it for. He could probably sell the Jets for $4 billion, $5 billion. Maybe even more than that because it's a New York football team. I don't know where this story is going to Go, as far as I'm concerned, but it is not a story if it came out of Mike Francesa's mouth. Because he knows a lot more than we do when it comes to the connections he's had and he's built with these organizations. The man has been in the business and the industry for over 30 years. And if Mike is saying that the Johnson family is thinking about parting ways with the New York Jets... There is a lot of truth to it. Now, is this a bad thing for the Jet fans? Probably not. The reason why Bill Belichick didn't want to take the job from the New York Jets, he was very close with Leon Hess. That was one of the reasons why he came on board with Bill Parcells' coaching staff. He liked Leon Hess. But then Leon Hess sold the team to the Johnson family, Woody Johnson. 
and he wasn't fond of Woody Johnson. And that was the reason why, within 24 hours, when Bill Parcells gave him the reins of the head coaching position, he decided to part ways and go to Robert Kraft and the New England Patriots. And everybody knows what happened after that. I mean, if you sit here today, if you're a Jet fan, we don't know when this story is going to start to hit and you're going to hear the Johnson family uh, obviously going to move on with this team and this organization. I don't know how true or how long it's going to take where you're going to hear this story start to surface. But again, if Mike Francesa said it, there has to be a truth to it. Now, again, I think it has a lot to do, and it's not about money because the Johnson family is making money. You're an NFL owner. Just with the TV deals, you're making over almost $80 million just off the TV deals every single year. So it's a profitable team. The Jets are a profit for the Johnson family. But it's to me, it could be a hazard to the organization keeping the Johnson family in and owning this team. Now, it is up to the Johnson family if they want to keep this team. But if you don't remember, about a year and a half ago, Woody Johnson's mother passed away. And she was one of three-part owner owners of this team. Now it's just him and his brother. And obviously, both brothers want to part ways with this investment. Now, if you don't know the Woody, you don't know the Johnson family, the Johnson and Johnson. Uh, they have the powder, they have the Q-tips, they have all the different things that they sell in the industry of health. They're making billions of dollars a year, not only off the Jets, but all their investments. So when I heard this story, and I'm not surprised, I, I, I relayed this to Josh when we were talking about it, and he, he said, what do you think about this? I think this is a good thing for the Jets. If, if the Johnson family is deciding to part ways, maybe the Jets will bring in an owner, or Woody Johnson will sell the Jets to an owner that has a lot of money and is willing to maybe, when this contract uh, with the lease of MetLife Stadium becomes available in the next, I would say, eight to seven years, move the New York Jets to Long Island, Queens, closer to the Jet fan, where the Jets, Speedy, have their own arena, have their own stadium, have their own place for the Jet fans to go and watch them play. Ownership could be divided in two different ways that have had bad teams struggle, where we see it either... Owners like to just pay everything, and they drive their teams down and get too involved with their teams where it drives them to dysfunction, like we've seen with the Knicks and James Dolan, like we've seen with Washington and Dan Snyder, Jacksonville's ownership, stuff like that. Or the other extreme where they like to pocket the money themselves and just try to only invest in that. And the Jets were kind of in that first extreme to in some years. Not as bad as Washington or the Raiders or teams like that, but... Woody Johnson definitely wanted to spend a lot. They wanted to get players that would create headlines and sometimes drove away the actual football team-building end of it. And it's a big reason why the Jets have been a troublesome organization when it comes to 
player development, team development, and consistent winning. Hence, they have the longest playoff drought in the league. Now, in terms of the actual value of what the Jets could go for, the Giants are right now one of the richest uh, Forbes teams, and they're at five point eight billion or million. So they could go. They could definitely or billion. I was right the first time. They could definitely go for more than that. Being a New York team and being a, a and just because they're estimated at five point eight billion. They're probably going to be sold for seven billion right. or eight billion. So the Jets could be sold for about six billion dollars. Right. Modern ownership is definitely going to factor that in. If they do have the ideas to create one of these new futuristic stadiums that we've definitely seen teams flourish off of recently, especially a team like the Rams that just won a Super Bowl and hosted the, the Super Bowl there, and they're all of a sudden now in that top five because of Stan Kroenke going over there and building that stadium. Now the Chargers play in there too at SoFi Stadium. So if the Jets could get that kind of investment, that might be the next step in order to do it. But again, from the team building standpoint, there's still, the ownership still has to be accommodating with that too. And that'll be the big question even with the money going forward for the Jets. And everybody knows the Johnson family tried to set up a stadium on the west side of Manhattan. It didn't work out, maybe because of politics, maybe because uh, it was going to cause a lot of traffic over there. I don't know. And then they decided to go back with the New York Giants when the Giants decided to part ways with Giants Stadium. It was getting old, even though I think they should have kept the stadium. It was much better than MetLife Stadium. If anybody's been there, I just I can't stand that place. It's just... I, I don't know. I don't know. It was it was a couple of billion dollars to build, and it just doesn't look worth the money that they invested in it. With it, I mean, look at the L.A. Rams. Look at their look at their stadium. Look at the Chargers Stadium. It's beautiful. You look at the MetLife Stadium with the Jets, and it, they, it looks not even close to what the new L.A. Rams and L.A. Chargers Stadium looks like. So, I I, I look at this move. This could benefit the Jets bringing in new ownership because if. Somebody has a lot of money, and I'm not saying Steve Cohen, but maybe Steve Cohen would be interested in buying the New York Jets or maybe bringing in investors to jump in and buy the, uh, buy the Jets from the Johnson family and maybe move them closer to the Mets. There's a lot of land over there. There's a lot of open land right by City Field. Maybe build, building a stadium right by City Field wouldn't be a bad idea for the New York Jets. It'll be closer to the fans. The fans would love it. You have parking lots all over because you use the Mets parking lot over there. And as football season starts, the the MLB season is about to end. You're going into the playoffs. The playoffs are over in October. And then you have November, December, and, and almost January to watch football. So there's so much that could happen. That this story, if it becomes a true story, which I believe it will, because I don't, I don't see the Johnson family keeping this team. I don't. I think they can make a lot of money off the investment they invested into 20-some-odd years ago. The Bill Parcells era. I think they bought the Jets, uh, and they bought it from Leon S. in 99, I think it was. 98 or 99 when they bought the Jets. So it was Leon, Leon Hess's team, and now it's the Johnson families. And, and, and like Leon Hess did, he kept the team for a significant amount of time, about 20, 30 years, and then he, sold, then he sold it to the Johnson family. And the same thing with the Johnson family now. They've owned the team for about 30 years now. Now they, they're looking to part ways with them, or 20-some-odd years, and they're looking to part ways with the Jets. Not because the organization's not winning, because it's a benefit to them to keep this team. TV deals are going up. I mean, obviously, 
Uh, there'll be more teams making the playoffs probably in the next 10 to 15 years. They've already added an extra te- a wild card team every single year. There might be more total teams, too, if there's expansion. Yeah, so th- there's more money. There's more profit for the for the Woody for Woody Johnson and his brother to keep this team and control this team for years to come. But I just think they're sick and tired of controlling this team. I think they're bored of it, and they'd rather sell the team and make their money off of it yeah. as well as they should. Yeah, and fresh ownership is definitely going to look at that too when it comes to, especially at a bigger city, trying to get that more modern identity. We've seen the Jets already do that with the, their logo changes and. Obviously, they're not winning yet, but some of the incentive changes that they made when they're making this organization a lot younger and more modern identity than we've seen before. And we're seeing other teams do that, too. Now, the Bears had a rumor of a stadium plan last week with their older ownership, the McCaskey family, that uh, might also sell the team as well. And these bigger cities are definitely going to have that incentive to do that more based on what you saw with the Rams last year in, in Los Angeles. And you might see with the Chargers down the road if they host another Super Bowl and win another or win another Super Bowl. Uh, John Suggs says, does Khalil Mack get 20 sacks this year? Had three last game and already uh, another this game. He's at four already. Mm. That would be something. But again, he's been injury prone the last couple of years. If he's healthy, he definitely could. Uh, thoughts on Favre drama? Yeah, that was a weird story. He's got taking money from like... Uh, Volleyball, so some kind of volleyball boosters or something. I like didn't that. hear that. Yeah, I have was, to check was, out that story when we go we- to a break. It was a weird story. Yeah, um, John. Uh, I'm not surprised Brett Favre is a part of some kind of crazy story. We we all know Brett Favre likes to get himself into trouble, doing stupid things, sending pictures of his uh, private parts to women that don't have any interest in him. So I'm not surprised about this story. All right. It, it, it wasn't uh, boosters. It was welfare funding for a volleyball stadium. And Brett, I, I definitely got to look Favre at Brett Favre was skimming funds from it. I, why is he skimming funds? I have no idea. He's a multimillionaire. What is he skimming funds? I don't understand these athletes. They're making millions and millions of dollars. Now, obviously, Brett Favre didn't make Aaron Rodgers' money $50 million a year. I mean, obviously. But... Brett Favre, in his career, probably made about $70, $80 million. Probably around that kind of money. How are you skimming money and stealing money from people? I mean, I've seen you on enough Levi commercials. Right. How much, how much money are you making off of those co- commercials that you have to steal from innocent people that don't have it? Mm, yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, Snug says, show me your lightning bolts. How about them chargers? John Suggs with the lightning bolts emoji. Snug says, Sandy Alderson wanted to be named king of the Mets, but, St- but Stevie Cohen says there could be only one emperor. It's over. The Rangers hoist the cup. The king of coleslaw told me that they would win the next three in a row after they trade for Zeke. Why not? I'm sure he'd make a handsome profit. Well, Hal doesn't have anything better to do, so he's not going anywhere. No one cares about the, the Jets, not just Woody. I would love to see Kenny buy the Jets. If Kenny buys the Jets, they would get squared up quick. Yeah, they'd probably get some wax promotion in that case. Kenny's <laughs> lucky he could buy water, okay? <laughs> Kenny would never buy the Jets anyway. He's a Giants fan. Uh, it's, it, <laughs> if Kenny sold himself, he wouldn't be able to buy the Jets. Snug says it's hard not to be profitable in the NFL. Yes, I would be happy to marry anyone in the Johnson family that might be single and looking for a cat that's a cupcake enthusiast. Maybe the legs, uh, the league should just j- uh, buy the Jets. All right, Speedy, skip that. Uh, I mean, Snug's craziness. Uh, look at Jerry Jones Stadium in Dallas. He hosts all the biggest sporting events, straight cash. I heard that Adam Gase is leading an investment group. Uh, Carl says McCaskies aren't selling the Bears. 
Uh, all right, thank you for that. I just heard about the stadium proposal, so I thought they were. Uh, Stuck says, I love Brett Favre. He's a delightful train wreck. Carl says, skimming for double wides in Mississippi. Stuck says, Brett Favre, Kyrie Irving, Jerry Jones podcast would smash all the records. And then Ben uh, gives him a little more details. Favre got money reallocated from the governor of Mississippi and was donated to his daughter's college. He used to build a volleyball stadium at his alma mater where she goes to now. The money was moved from the governor where the state welfare from the state welfare fund. Favre, in returner, agreed to appear at events for the governor to take pics and sign autographs. Okay, so it wasn't just giving money, but still, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's a story, and I, I, I definitely have to look into that story before we talk about it next week. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll speak about it on uh, the Weekend Crunch, but uh, I, I mean, getting back to this whole Jets thing, I, I'm not surprised that this story is starting to surface. I'm not. The question is, Who's going to be interested in buying the Jets when they become a fan? And there'll, there'll be a lot of owners. A lot of people, multi-billionaires. This is, when a New York team becomes available like this, especially a football team, there'll be, they'll be owners and there'll be billionaires jumping on this. I wouldn't be so surprised if Mr. Amazon decides to jump on this. Because this is a New York organization, this is a New York team, and this is a, a professional football team. So, and his headquarters are in, I, if I'm not mistaken, in New Jersey. So, uh, I'm interested to see what's going to happen when this, sto- this story starts to surface. Because, like I said, if Mike Francesa is, is now making this a rumor, it's going to start to surface. Because he's not one person that's going to bring up a story and it doesn't come to fruition. So, And who says it's just one owner, too? It might even be multiple guys. Maybe Steve Cohen goes in for a little bit and then there's more. I just said that. Yeah. I, if Steve Cohen's interested in buying into this, maybe he brings a couple of his uh, his buddies in on right. buying this mm-hmm. and, and moving them closer to, to City Field where they could be you know, spotted in a place where Jet fans would be loving and having the opportunity to go check out their team every single weekend. Uh, shout every out, other weekend. Yep. Shout out to Annie McKay, first time listener, for uh, joining in the comments section. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snug also says Brett Favre and I eat breakfast every Tuesday. He's super cool, but always feels steals the tips off the tables when he thinks no one is looking as we walk out. And then Carl says all good points, Arrow. But at the end of the day, they're still yeah. Jets. And 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 here's the thing: just like the Knicks are the Knicks, it doesn't matter what they are and who they are as an organization. All it takes is an owner. That is going to open up his pockets, just like the Johnson. They're open up. They're open up the pockets, but nobody wants to play for him. No, if you've heard the stories, a lot of coaches don't want to play for the Johnsons. If you bring in a, a proper, like a, a Mark Cuban, right, a guy that a lot of people like and would play for, what does that do? That gives you the understanding that coaches, players. And, and so many different people. And you don't have to play that, pay that Jeff tax that he always talks about, yeah. the, the New York tax, because the team stinks. Right. So if you bring in an owner like Bezos or somebody like that, or Mark Cuban, a big voice for the organization, it will draw players to want to come and play here. Right. And again, I was mentioning before, too, Carl, it was, we're not saying that the they're the best-run organizations just because they're the richest ones. I was listing Washington as with Dan Snyder. I was listing the Raiders with Al Davis when he was there. The Cowboys with Jerry Jones. We were just uh, talking about it yesterday. R.J. Ochoa, when he was on the show, we were mocking Jerry Jones like crazy. We're not saying these rich ownerships are necessarily poorly run. Same thing with the Knicks. Same thing with the Giants. Uh, they're not exactly the best-run teams. But... No team is go- very, run very well. Really, there's, there, there might be five teams in the NFL that are properly run. Five. 
right now. That's it. In basketball, there's about seven proper, properly run teams in basketball. In hockey, about five. A lot of these organizations are not properly run. It's really luck of the draw, the way you draft, how bad your team is one year. You could lose. Look at Golden State. Right. Golden State was bad one year because of injury. Then they, they get in the top five and they get Wiseman at number two or number three. That could solidify the team when they lose Steph Curry. Or they lose, I don't know, Clay Thompson in the future or they retire. Right. So it, it's all the luck of the draw. And that, that also has something to do with, uh, you know, the GM. Look at the San Antonio Spurs all those years of their dominance and their drafting ability. Right. That, that had a lot to do with their, their management. That's really where they were. It wasn't Tim Duncan. Yeah, Tim Duncan was a great player, and Manu Ginobili was, turned into a good player. And, and obviously, Tony Parker. And then, and then they, they drafted, you know, big Kawhi, and, yeah. you know, Kawhi and big other, you know, other pieces to fill in spots to make this team a significant powerhouse in the, in the NBA. But it has to do with management. It has to be. It has to do with how the company and the organization is run. Carl says Bazos and Wilson seen dining at. I, I don't want to. That's and so Bazos stupid. owns them. All games are on Amazon Prime now. Ha-ha. Absolutely. Yeah, the Thursday night games are all Amazon Prime. Carl. No, that's not what he's saying. If the Jets were bought by Bezos, it would be on Amazon Prime. Very possible and probably true. Yeah. Probably true. Well, yeah, because you got to think when and if that it does end up happening too. They're going to take over in terms of like the actual streaming because it's going to be a main thing now. Now we'll see if it is for all the Sunday games too. It hasn't gotten to that point yet, but who knows? In four or five years, it might. With the way this is going, it's all about money, and right. Bezos has the money. And if if he doesn't want to buy an NFL team, why why not buy all the uh, I guess the the, the TV deals? Right. For the NFL, where he's going to make money because everybody's going to be watching it on Amazon Prime. He's going to have a copyright on it, too, I would imagine. There's going to be something where he's going to profit a lot big time for a guy that doesn't need the money. The man is, why not? The man is a, a smart man, <laughs> and he knows with the TV deals and the advertisements, he can, he can sell the NFL Thursday Night Football. He can sell them for Sunday. He can sun, sell them for any day. And, and eventually, you're right, it might be a pay streaming to watch the NFL. It might happen. It's going to happen, probably. Yeah, and we're already seeing that with other streaming services, too, with uh, with sports uh, taking over. We've seen it a little bit in college football now, too, uh, between ESPN Plus and uh, Peacock and a couple other ones, too. The, these streaming services are going to take over, and why not have it do it with the NFL, which is the biggest sport by far in the, the United States? Why not? Yeah. So that that's a story, and it's definitely going to surface here in New York in the next few months, I'm sure. Uh, I expect this story to to really grow legs at the end of the season when, uh, obviously, uh, the draft comes around combine. Because if Zach Wilson isn't the guy, you're you're probably going to see a new GM. You're probably going to see a new coach. And maybe that will be the time where the Johnson family says, you know what, we're going to start over again. Let's let's sell the team as a whole. So – there, I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but who knows? Right. It could happen, though. We saw the Rams do that with Jared Goff that first year. It was the first year in L.A. They wanted to buy the move. But then there's also teams like the Raiders that stuck with their quarterback despite moving to Las Vegas when a lot of people thought they would trade Derek Carr and go for a quarterback in the draft to create a fresh new start, young quarterback type thing. Okay, so 
There is another story that I want to get into with football, and then we'll get into football a little bit later after our guest because we're going to go through week two, and we'll go through all our picks and our thoughts. I'm sure you guys are going to want to hear that. But Jamal Adams out for the season with a torn quad. And I, I've, I've taken shots at Jamal Adams over and over again ever since he pushed his way out of New York, wanted to go to Dallas. Then you heard stories that – his father saw him pouting in his room. I mean, there was so many stories about Jamal Adams because he wasn't making money. He thought he was the best safety in all of football, which he's not. And he wound up getting paid more than Derwin. Believe it or not, he's making more money than Derwin James. This man has not stayed healthy since he left the Jets. He's been... A Seattle Seahawk for the last three years. How many games has he played? Now he's out for a full season this year. He played one game. One. And that defense played very well. Even without him, they've played very, very well. Now we'll see if they could be consistent all season long. They have the 49ers next week. They lost their... their one of their better running backs in Mitchell. He's not out for the season, but he's out for a significant amount of time. Yeah, six to eight weeks. I mean, losing Jamal Adams to your defense, your best supposedly defensive player. By the way, Carl says he missed nine before this year. So he he missed nine games last year. Yeah, he played 12 games last year, 12 games his first year in 2020, and then his last year with the Jets played 14. Guy can't stay healthy. He just can't. And you're paying him, what, $90, $90 million? Mm-hmm. And you watch, probably within the next two years, he might be looking for a new job. Probably go to the Cowboys. The Cowboys will bring him in. They bring everybody else in. <laughs> yeah, why not? Jerry Jones, money doesn't matter to That's him. That's where he wants to be anyways. Yep. And as RJ said yesterday, nobody said the Cowboys were smart in their team-building philosophy. So that would be the most the most ideal thing. Let's bring in a high-paid safety that has gotten worse since he got his contract. Now, yeah. the reason why I'm bringing this story up is, is not because I'm trying to take shots at a guy when he's down. It, it's really because a lot of these players demand these big contracts. They get these big contracts, a.k.a. Muhammad Wilkerson, I could go up and down some of the Jets that got those big contracts and never amounted, never amounted to anything after that great season. You're just talking about the Cowboys. Look at them right now. Since Jamal Adams was traded and he was an all-pro player leaving the Jets, has he been an all-pro player? No. Has he been, I guess you could say, a Pro Bowl, a pro bowl player? I no. think he was an alternate, but that was... It he wasn't, wasn't a Pro it, Bowl player. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't in the initial voting. He wasn't a Pro Bowl player in my eyes. He wasn't voted in as a first ballot Pro Bowl. He has not been the player that the Seattle Seahawks decided to pay. They decided to part ways with Russell Wilson. They don't want to pay him. But they decided to pay the guy that has a big mouth, doesn't make your defense better. He's a safety, which is the least important position on the field as far as most football minds would talk about. 
I think when you look at the big picture, and what what is Carl saying over here? Or you give a huge contract and not let the player go down the field to win the game, a la Russell Wilson. I, he's mocking the Broncos. Probably true. Yeah, definitely true. But I, I think that Jamal Adams, is, this shows you why you shouldn't overpay certain positions. Because this hurts the Seattle Seahawks. First of all, if they wanted to pay Russell Wilson, they couldn't. Because they just gave Jamal Adams, the year before, $90 million. What was it? $40 million guaranteed? $45 million guaranteed? And five-year deal, so you're not going to get out of here for a while. You hurt your cap. You put yourself in cap hell with a guy that's supposedly supposed to be your best player who doesn't stay on the field. And this is what I mean. This is what bothers me about these, uh, these contracts and this, these caps. Just give the guy the full money. Give him guaranteed money. I'm going to give you $60 million guaranteed. That's what you're getting. None of these $140 million contracts would hurt your cap for the next, I don't know, four years because you're offering them 140 and you have a certain amount of money that you can cap off with that money. Am I right or wrong, Speedy? Yeah. And you give them guaranteed money, which affects your cap that year. It doesn't make sense. And you wonder, too, the way the safety contracts are going up in this offseason, too. We saw Derwin James just get paid Minka Fitzpatrick. As well as he should. First of all, Derwin, da- Derwin James is the best safety in football. Now, Derwin James has also had injury issues, too, but he's only had one, I would say, down season, whereas Jamal Adams has now had kind of two and a half in a way because now this year he's gotten hurt, too. Well, Derwin James was hurt last year. That's Derwin Derwin James was hurt last year. He was a little down in 2019, his second season, coming back from the injury he suffered in 18. But beyond that, he's played fantastic beyond that. We've seen that with Honey Badger in his career, too. He's had injury issues, too, but he's played great pretty much every season because of that, too. We haven't had that case with Jamal Adams yet because Jamal Adams, since he's gone to Seattle, which is weird because Seattle's usually good with safeties. He hasn't been to that same level yet, and you wonder if that kind of thing well, is going to hurt Well, he's not Cam Chancellor. Well, no, no, obviously not, but Seattle's always done well with even just duos of safeties in the past, too, even before Pete Carroll got there. That's always been a strength of their development, but it's, so it's weird to see Jamal Adams go there and not be able to flourish, but even now, we're seeing with the other high-paid safeties, Jesse Bates now looking for a big contract, Minka Fitzpatrick's got a big contract with the Steelers. So far, they've lived All up- those guys are better than Jamal Adams. Right, and Minka had a bad year last year, too, when he was trying to negotiate negotiate for the contracts too, but so far played very well against the Bengals in week one. And Jesse Bates so far has been very consistent as a steady coverage safety, arguably the best maybe zone coverage safety in the league and one of the better ones overall in the league where he's definitely deserving of that money and has been healthy so far. So right now, Jamal Adams contract is going to be the ones that they're going to be leveraging on to, for that kind of thing to get that kind of money. Now the question is, our team's going to do that based on other bad safety contracts in the past, not just Jamal Adams. Look at Landon Collins with Washington. So, they're de- like we were saying with Seattle's defense, they played better without Jamal Adams. Landon Collins in 2020 got hurt. Washington's defense played great without him. Their young defensive backs play very well. So sometimes they're not as high profile as they used to be. And Seattle ended up losing other players on that defense because of it. Bobby Wagner's now with the Rams. Uh, Shaq Griffin, they lost their top corner from 2020. He went to Jacksonville. A lot of pass rushers. A lot of contracts are, are driven by what you do the year before. And then all of a sudden you become available and your contract is up, and, and now a lot of these teams decide, you know what, I'm going to pay you this amount of money for what you did the year before. And he was, when he, when he decided 
that he didn't want to be a Jet anymore, and that was his final year where he was an all-pro player. He goes to Seattle. He has, he has a decent season in the second half of the season, and then they pay him. And now you, you put yourself in cap hell for the next two or three years. If you decide to part ways with him in the next year or two, you're still going to be in cap hell because of the, the, the $90 million contract you gave him for the five-year extension. So it, it definitely affects teams, and you have to look at these contracts to affect you. You have to make sure, and, and, and again, you have guys like Aaron Donald, you have to pay him. You have to. You do. And, and, and then you look at guys like um, all the superstars that we talk about, the quarterbacks, the Aaron Rodgers of the world, and, and the Tom Brady's. You're going to pay these guys because you want them to be a part of your future, and you want to be, you want them to be a part of the solution to moving forward with your organization. But we've also seen where positional lapses have caused teams to get, have a lot Absolutely. of issues because of that. Now, pass rushers haven't been the case yet. We talk about Aaron Donald. The Rams have been able to plug and play pretty much everywhere else with linebacker and safety mm-hmm. from their own draft. Yep. Same thing with the Steelers. Same thing with the Browns. They paid Miles Garrett, and they've been drafting a lot of young linebackers, young safeties, guys on one-year contracts, and they've worked for good team defenses, whereas we haven't seen that when they've paid safeties and they've paid linebackers these massive amounts of money, with a couple exceptions. Fred Warner, Niners defense, still good. Darius Leonard, Colts defense. Well, it was okay, but not great in week one, but they're still pretty talented. Like, they haven't really lost much when it comes to other talent. And I think when it comes to paying edge rushers and corners and then making everything else work, that's the wave of the league with the defense now in a passing league. And teams have had to get out of that, and other teams are still stuck with it. Look at the Rams when they paid Todd Gurley, how long it took for them to get out of that contract, but they were able to make it work. And since then, they've been able to pay everyone else and get more. <laughs> they got Bobby Wagner this offseason. So some teams have made it work, and then there's others like the Cowboys that are still stuck with that and are not going to be able to get out of it for a while. And same thing with the Seahawks. So that's what I wanted to get into as far as I'm concerned with these contracts and, and losing a player of Jamal Adams' ability. And he's still a good safety. Is yeah. he a top seven, eight safety in football? I, I believe he is. Is he a top five? I don't know. No, I wouldn't say anymore. I, I don't think so. And he, he definitely got overpaid. And, and that you have to look at with the Seattle Seahawks because they had to make a choice. Are we going to overpay the safety that we traded two first-round draft picks and I think a, a second, third. I think it was a third-round draft pick, uh, and, and traded away our future? Or, by the way, the reason why they traded probably Russell Wilson was, one, they couldn't pay him, and two, they had no first-round draft pick. So they, they traded with the Broncos. They got their nice ninth pick, the pick before – the uh, the New York Jets pick, which they traded away right. for Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. And they, they added a couple more first-round draft picks. Next year, they're going to have two. So uh, Seattle is going to be able to build from that. But again, you sit back and you wonder, with, with what they did with Jamal Adams, was that the right move to make now that Russell Wilson is playing for the Broncos and is going to move, far, move further with the Broncos in his future. Now, I don't know if that that was the right move, but again, you can't change and you can't cry over spilt milk. It is what it is. So moving forward, if Russell Wilson wins a championship with the Broncos, a lot of these Seattle Seahawks, and I know they were happy on Sunday, okay? Of course they were. They were very, I mean, I'm not Sunday, I'm sorry, Monday. They were very happy on Monday when they beat, Russell Wilson and the Broncos, 17-16. It was a close game. Geno Smith 
played pretty good for a backup quarterback who was drafted by the New York Jets. But is he going to be able to do that all season? It was he, Is he going to be Russell Wilson-esque every single week? Russell Wilson had a decent game. He made... He, he, I think he forced the ball in certain places he shouldn't have. But again, he threw one touchdown, but 338 yards. Right. So is Geno Smith going to be able to do that week in and week out? I don't think so. And that, to me, is a problem because you, you're going into the offseason. You did win a game, and you want to lose as many games as you, you can because of the, the, the stock of quarterback in this year's draft. And most of these quarterbacks are going to be drafted in the top, top ten. I mean, they're they're saying there's six quarterbacks could be drafted in the first round. Five of them could be drafted in the top ten. And you want to be in that top ten if, if you're looking to find a franchise quarterback. Well, they have two first-round draft picks, so yeah. they can move up and possibly get in the top ten. Right. They have two first-round picks, and there's a large crop of quarterbacks. So assuming they're as bad as everybody thinks they're going to be, that would be the case. But you wonder if... You wonder if, again, that kind of thing, they're pesky and stealing random games. Because they do it in division, too. They swept the 49ers last yeah. year. And they hung tough with Arizona. Like, they've had certain stretches. Remember remember when uh, the other year they were bad in, in uh, 2017, too? They, they got swept by the Rams, but they kept Arizona out by sweeping them when Arizona was a close playoff team that year. So you wonder what they could do with uh, just the random peskiness of Pete Carroll. No, Carl, I am not getting any underwear out because I didn't pick the Broncos this year in the playoffs. Mm. By the way, the Broncos did fumble the game away. Yes, they, they did. did. Of course, they a lot did. of mistakes, but that had a lot to do with the defense and the goal line stand that the Seattle Seahawks really laid the smacketh on the Broncos. The Broncos defense did not look good. No. They didn't. Now I like Sertan. I, I do, and he he played very well when he needed to in that game, especially against a great wide receiver like uh, uh, DK Metcalf and. And I, besides maybe one or two catches that DK made, Sertan showed you why he was a top first-round draft pick. All Metcalf's catches were short, too. Yes. Seven catches, so, 36 yards. So, but he, he made two really good grabs, too. Yeah, but. tough ones. But, again, the, that's Sertan had good coverage and a lot of those, too. Like they, DK Metcalf's route-running cuts did not beat Sertan in that one. Sertan, if he got beat, it was really tough coverage. and Or I think one guy had a tough sideline catch. I, I think it was their third receiver. I don't remember his name, What their rookie. Um, but that was really it. Uh, Carl says, Speedy, you worried about the Mets? They just got swept by the Cubs. DeGrom getting out dueled by farmhands. Yes, Carl, I mentioned that yesterday. I am concerned about the Mets because they have literally two lefties and they can't hit. So, yeah, I told you. I mentioned that yesterday. Speaking of the Mets, a story came out that Sandy Alderson today was stepping down as Mets team president and will stay with the team as an advisor. Now, I'm not surprised about this. Because we've been hearing this for the last past year and a half. The only reason why Sandy Alderson came on again with the Mets to take over the president duties was because Steve Cohen was very close with Sandy Alderson when the Wilpons owned the organization. If you remember, Steve Cohen was going to come in as a partner with the Wilpons and then eventually take over the team a couple of years later. But he didn't want to do that because he wanted to make the choices of where this team is going. So what did he do? He eventually had the opportunity to buy the Mets, and that was when Sandy Alderson stepped down and then he decided to bring Sandy Alderson back because they're buddies. Now this team is starting to play and starting to win, and Sandy, I, I believe with all the cancer problems he's had over the last couple of years and the health problems that he's had, I think he wants to step down. I think he wants to step away from baseball and 
being just an advisor is the reason. It really just gives a reason for Steve Cohen to pay him. That's really what it is. Steve Cohen decided, you know what? We want to keep you on. You don't have to. You don't really have to do anything. I'm going to pay you for all the time and the help that you gave me to rebuild this team with Epler. That was it. Now, where do the Mets go? Now, I, I know Josh Silverberg was telling me uh, the lead guy that he believes, and he was pr- mentioning Brian Cashman. And I, I'll say this. They're going to wait until the offseason when Brian Cashman will become available. Hal Steinbrenner spoke at a, at a, at a I think it was one of the writers was interviewing him. This was before Randy Levine started talking about Judge's contract. Mm. This was a, a couple of weeks ago before Randy Levine spoke. And he didn't mention Aaron Judge. But he did mention Brian Cashman. And I believe, and what Hal said is, he already has a deal set in stone with Brian Cashman. And at the end of the season, they're going to announce the contract extension with Brian Cashman. I don't think Brian Cashman's going anywhere. Why would he go to the Mets when he's with the Yankees? Now, Steve Cohen has more money. He does. He's richer than the Yankees as an organization. But the Yankees are a known commodity in baseball, and they win every single year. The Mets, they're just starting to win. Why would he leave an organization? Yes, Epler's one of his good friends. Why would he leave an organization that he's been running and, and helped built for the last 25, 30 years, and had winning seasons in those years. Why would he leave that team? Why would he leave that organization? It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Now, I know Speedy posted up Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein is not going to the Mets. I think Theo Epstein is going to wait until 2024, 2025, when that commissioner role becomes available, possibly. If Rob Manford and the owners... Don't come to an agreement in contract extensions. And that could happen. I think Theo Epstein is just sitting on that. He doesn't need to make any any more money. He made enough money with the Cubs and the Red Sox. He's won enough championships. He's won two with the Red Sox and one with the Cubs. And he he broke, you know, those hundred-year, you know, Droughts. droughts, whatever you want to call it. I mean... If, if if I was Theo Epstein, I'd take over Cleveland and run Cleveland and get out of that drought, and then you you become the drought killer. Yeah, really. You would have to so you jump around from Cleveland, and then you have to jump around all the new teams that haven't won a World Series, and then you then you might end up back to the Mets. That's the World Series '86. So who knows at that I point? I think Milwaukee. Uh, it, it seems more likely than Milwaukee. GM or president Stearns, over there, yeah. yeah, where they they've loved over the last couple of years. They tried to bring him in in the off season. He decided to stay with Milwaukee, or Milwaukee told him they couldn't speak to him. Yeah, that's what I wanted at the time. I remember that. And and maybe now the Mets will open up their pockets, or maybe give up a draft pick, and because I think they have. A, do they have two draft picks, two first rounds this year? I think no, because I think they lost one because of the free agents they brought in. Because you have to lose some draft picks in order to do that. I think. All right, Cannon so they, Marte. Maybe they give up one of the draft picks that they had this year and, and trade it away. Trade away one of their young prospects and 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 bring in a, um, a guy like that because they they need somebody to take over that role. And and Milwaukee's not just he's under contract. They're not just giving him away. They're not, and they don't need money. Milwaukee. They're they're pretty. They have a pretty rich owner. They don't need. I mean, the guy's a billionaire. 
<laughs> they don't need Steve Cohen's money. So they're going to have to open up their pockets, and I mean pockets, maybe a draft player, maybe a draft pick, or maybe two draft picks, or, or maybe two players in their farm system that the Milwaukee, you know, Milwaukee um, Brewers want to bring, bring somebody like that in for the New York Mets. But who knows? They're going to do interviews. I, I think they'll wait until the offseason because, again, Brian Cashman is still out there, and if he's still out there, Anything is possible. Brian Cashman could decide he doesn't want to be a Yankee anymore. I mean, that could happen at the end of the season. So, But that's why Josh is saying, I, if I were the Mets, I would sit back and wait until the offseason and see what Brian Cashman decides to do. Which I think he's right on. I, I don't mean, I mind him trying for Brian Cashman. I don't think he's going anywhere either. I think the Yankees would do whatever they do, whatever they can to keep him too. But I, it doesn't mean the Mets' process of going after Brian Cashman, who's been so good for so long, is a bad idea. Now, obviously, as a team president role, he's going to have a lot more power with that kind of thing too. Now, Epler's still going to have the player management, but Cashman's going to have incentive or influence on those decisions too. So if that ends being the case. The process by the Mets is not bad in, in terms of going for that. As far as David Stearns, if that ends up being the case, or we've heard the Dodgers guys as well uh, being somebody, guys that they liked last year too, two of their executives as well, you wonder if that kind of thing to upgrade to a team president could be a bigger incentive if they do want to trade away either of those draft picks or those players. I'm not really sure how it works in baseball in comparison to other sports. I know we were talking about it yesterday in football with the Cowboys wanted to go for Sean Payton. They had to trade a first-round pick in order to get him because the Saints still have the rights. I'm not really sure how it works with baseball because their drafts are all so weird. But it, it does that sound like something the Mets would do if that's what they really want. Even if it does, even if it is for Cashman too, and they do it as I had to pay him more and, money. And I understand why Mets fans would want to wait because it is Brian Cashman, and he is the best GM in, in baseball. Right. He is, and, and nobody could argue that Brian Cashman is the best GM in baseball. And if he becomes available and you can bring in the best GM in baseball to help run your organization moving forward to trying to win multiple titles because that's what Steve Cohen wants to do, then I, I, I applaud them. I don't think it's going to happen. So if you have a second or third tier guy that you want, you better jump and pounce on it because there'll be other teams interested in bringing those guys in if, if need be. So I think it's very, very important to make the right decision here because I don't think – Hal Steinbrenner is just going to say, here, here you go, Mets. Right. You can have our GM. He's, the, he's been the face of our organization for the last 30 years. It doesn't make sense. And I, don't, and I told that to Josh. I, if you think that Hal Steinbrenner is going to watch his man go to the Mets across the, I guess, the Hudson to help them win, I don't see that happen. Uh, Carl says Cashman or Epstein. Well, Epstein seems more um, likely because he's unemployed. Who do I who do I think is better? Is that what he's asking? I, I'm not sure. Uh, or is winning more wise? Uh, winning wise, I, I would say they're both winners. Yeah. Uh, winning consistently, Brian Cashman. I mean, the guy's won consistently for over 30 years. How many GMs in any sport has won in 30 years? There's no right. There's no team in history that's done it, but the Yankees. Yeah. So who would I rather? I think Theo Epstein's very good at drafting. He's very good at finding certain players and, and uh, you know, building through a roster through a draft. I think Cashman is more known for bringing in players, veteran players that he finds, you know, that are done or people give up on, and he brings them in, and, and they become more developed players with the Yankees. 
He's done that before, and he's drafted very well, too. Right. I mean, Aaron Judge, I mean, Robinson Cano, he drafted some really good players. I mean, pitching has been a big problem for Brian Cashman. It's been a big problem for the Yankees. He did draft Garrett Cole, and he decided to go back into the draft. I mean, decided to go play college ball in UCLA because that was his plan to play college baseball. Won a championship over there, yeah. College World Series. But he won- he was drafted by the Yankees. The Yankees drafted him in the first round. Mm-hmm. Then he became a first, the number one pick uh, a couple of years later with Pittsburgh. So who would I rather? I don't know. It's a it's a it's a coin flip. Yeah, it depends on the incentive. You wonder with the organization too, because we've seen Theo Epstein do things pretty fast. If I teams. were the Mets, I, I would want Brian Cashman. Yeah, he's I, been in there. He's been with the Yankees long. He's he's been a part of base. I, I, Epstein's taking a step back. He's not really part of the baseball personnel right now. He's sitting back. He's hanging out with his family. He's just chilling, working for you know Major League. He is working for Major League Baseball, right. but he's not working as a GM. He's not working as an assistant. So I, I think taking a step away from baseball uh, for a couple of years, I think it, it doesn't affect Theo Epstein. He's a smart man, but. I, I think I would rather the guy that's that's been in that role for the last thirty years. Yeah, you wonder like losing touch in terms of the actual uh, the analytics, the statistics of going after the players too. Where with the Cubs, you he had some bad contracts, yes, but still was able to get a lot of good players over there, draft well, develop well, make fantastic trades to get a lot of their core pieces on that World Series. And by the team. way, I do like Theo Epstein. So any of the people out there that think I don't like Theo Epstein, I love Theo Epstein. I think he's a great mind, great baseball mind. I just think right now for what Brian Cashman has done consistently, I'm sorry to cut you off, Speedy, I would go, I would would push still with Brian. I would wait and see what Brian Cashman decides to do before you do anything. Because if Brian Cashman says, you know what, I want to test the waters. I want to see what's out there. You know damn well the Mets are going to pounce on it. They have the money. They have Steve Cohen. He'll say, I'll double your money. I'll double your salary. You come over here. You become the president of this organization and help us win for multiple years, and you'll become a god here. Right. And I think that's why I would agree with you on the Mets preference probably would be Cashman over Epstein. I'm not saying that would be the case for every team just because I think Epstein has done very well in terms of free agency. I think Epstein's done very well in terms of those types of drafts. <laughs> and Brian Cashman's done well, I think, in terms of getting the, the gems. And I think the Mets have been lacking that for a while. Yeah, they found some here and there, but not a lot like the Yankees have. And I think that could be the next step because they have the money already. They have the big contracts and they have a core that's pretty good. Now they're missing some areas, like I say, with the lefties, especially, and some pitching depth, understandable. But the Mets have built a pretty deep roster. And I think that because of that, you're looking at a case where I think Cashman would be that guy to fill in some other gems if it's happening. Like I said, I don't think it's going to, but why not if he is available? If he becomes available, you definitely, you definitely have to pounce on it and try to bring him in. And I think the Mets will. I I just don't know if it's going to happen because I believe Hal Steinbrenner already has a contract in line for Brian Cashman to come back for another four to five years. I expect it. Uh, And everything that I've read, Hal Hal already said that there will be an announcement at the end of the season on the extension for Brian Cashman. That's, That's their number one important position to move forward with is bringing Brian Cashman back. Right. Then they'll worry about Aaron Judge, which we ho- we all heard Randy Levine and what he said in the podcast. If teams are going to try to outspend or out- outpocket us, that's not going to happen. It's not going to be because of the money. They're going to give him a good offer. It- it's really it's up to 
Aaron Judge if he wants to stay or he wants to go. Right. And you who want, you know, you're going to want Brian Cashman in those negotiations, too, with Aaron Judge, too. You don't want to have to leave it to a new GM to put pressure on him and say, all right, here's the first thing to do. Let's negotiate with the American League MVP and try to get him back. Well, that's going to be a very tough, a lot of pressure for that. That's pretty funny, Carl. Uh, yes, Carl says, you know Tyler would be knocking over the food tray to get at this take, Errol. Ha ha. Uh, yes. yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, we know, we know, because Tyler doesn't like uh, anything about the He's Yankees so front office. He's and so Aaron stupid. <laughs> Tyler Harrison has a problem with Brian Cashman. For what reason? I don't know. He says player respect. Like, he has an issue with him because of that. Player respect. Like, I, a I lot know. of the Yankees went out on sour notes, he says, because of Brian Cashman, or he mistreated him. I forget, mm. I forget the exact terminology, mm. but a lot Guess of Guess what? Guess what? You're making millions and millions of dollars. You're complaining because the GM is trying to uh, save a buck for the organization because that's his job. You're going to attack him for that? Well, then you don't know how business is run. That's the way business is run. You're trying to save him, and, and, and it's not because of the superstars. Because, listen, he's overpaid Jacoby Ellsbury, and that was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Because he decided not to, not to keep Robinson Cano, he's sour. Robinson Cano was a garbage player when he went to Seattle. He had one, or, one good season, and he couldn't stay healthy, and then the steroid story came out. Now, then he played with the Mets for a little while, and he was garbage there, too. He was never the same player when he left the Yankees. Never. Right. Uh, before we go to break, uh, Carl also says the Amazon Amazon Prime StatCast view is pretty sweet. They give you real-time routes. Yeah, well, they do the next-gen stats. Amazon was the main founder of that kind of thing with next-gen stats in football and in baseball, too. Uh, Tyler expects respect because the Grubhub drivers show him respect Probably for large true. tips. You know, it's so interesting. I haven't heard from Tyler at all. And, he, and I, I've always wanted Tyler to stay on this show because I think he was a really – Cool piece to this show. I mean, the arguments, the stupidity that came out of his mouth. I think Jeff scared him away. I really do. And and if anybody hasn't seen Tyler over the last couple of he changed his name to TJ Harrison. In his Facebook, on his Twitter, yeah. on his Instagram, it's, it's not Tyler anymore. It's TJ. Yeah, his middle name is James, same as mine. <laughs> and that's my brother's middle name, too. Okay. Um, and, and here's another thing. Tyler shaved his head. Tyler doesn't have hair on his head because of Jeff. Because he called him. What did he call him? Um, oh, I forget. On Robin Hood. What's, what's, what, what, what is it? Uh, Friar Tuck. Yeah, Friar Tuck. He yeah, called him right, Friar right. Tuck with the yarmulke on his head or Ginobili or whatever the hell he called him. Yeah. No, Friar Tuck. That was the one. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I feel bad for Tyler. Tyler is in his own little world. Oh, yeah. I think. We knew that. <laughs> when we come back, we'll be talking to SB Nation, Niners Nation, staff writer Jordan Elliott here. On the Sports Lab Mouse. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouse. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loud Mouse. 631 672 3108 is the number to call. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I don't know if anybody's watching this game. I'm sure you are. Uh, this is supposed to be the game of the week, and why not Thursday Night Football? First game on Amazon Prime of the year, and it's the Chargers and Kansas City Chiefs, the two best teams, some people think, in their division in the AFC West. And why not? The Chargers leading 17-7. So this is going to be a fun game all the way to the end, and hopefully the Chargers win so I can stop listening to these Kansas City rejects, okay? But that's just Hey, Wes is at the game. Is Wes at the game? Yes, he is. 
I, I sent him the game. So maybe he's watching the show while he's, he's at the game. Yeah, he's know. at the game. Yep. Well, good for Wes. I mean, uh, he has a child now. What's his kid's name again? Uh, it is uh, Quinn. Quinn, that's right. And his wife is a singer for the Phil Collins band. That's right. And she goes to Chicago this week. So I'm sure he's trying to get away a little bit so he enjoys some time, some time away from his son. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know he loves his kid. Anyways, uh, why not bring on our guest? Uh, we are now talking to SB Nation, Niners Nation, staff writer, Jordan Elliott. Jordan, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, guys? You know, just uh, sitting here enjoying this, uh, this Thursday night game between two of the better quarterbacks in the league. It's nice to uh, watch a game where uh, there's not a question mark every time a quarterback incompletes a pass. You know, uh, please don't a lot of that over here in 49er land. <laughs> please don't even bring that up. I mean, I'm a Jet fan, all right? I, I, have, I had to watch Joe Flacco. All weekend against the Baltimore Ravens. The unbelievable, boring, quiet, I am lazy in the pocket, Joe Flacco. So I'd rather watch Trey Lance any day. But I'll tell you this, and we'll get into that in just a few moments. How are you doing uh, with the whole COVID-19 situation? I, I don't know. We haven't spoken to you. This is the first time you've been on the show. So how, how did you and your family get through that? Uh, You know, just... One day at a time, uh, sports was a big, you know, outlet for me being able to stay connected uh, while not being able to attend a lot of events. Just having that as a way to still be connected to the outside world was a big deal. Um, I'm in the Bay Area. We had much stricter restrictions with the COVID pandemic going on for a lot of that time. So it did take quite a while. Uh, the 49ers, even in 2020, they were playing home games in uh, Arizona at the end of that season because they didn't even allow the players that, you know, the, the, the restrictions were so tight on the amount of people that could be in one area. Even without fans in the stands, the 49ers had to play their games in Arizona to close out that year. So uh, I don't want to jinx it. I'll knock on wood as I'm saying it, but things are kind of getting back to normal here. And it feels it's done. Uh, COVID is done. It's done. It's like the flu now over here. Nobody even cares. Oh, somebody had COVID the other day. It's like five days and they're back into work. Nobody even cares anymore. COVID's uh, it, that the two years was really like a plague for two years and everybody was afraid. And, and now all of a sudden, I mean, by the way, there are more people that died from the flu every single year than COVID. So uh, nobody took the flu and still don't take the flu as much as they took COVID over the two years that that really dumb and I I work in the health field too so I know all about it and I was around it but uh and I had I I I had the sickness and I was very very sick after my hip surgery it was horrible but nevertheless let's let's get into some football uh let's get into Trey Lance because right now and by the way uh another touchdown by Patrick Mahomes well, I'm not surprised. Who was that, Sky Moore? No, I'm not sure Watson is his last name. I'm thinking oh, it's another no. tight end. I'm not oh. sure who that is. Congratulations. 84, so it is. Uh, what is this not true on the flu versus COVID fact? Yes, it is, Carl. Um, just so you know, Carl, last year, go go look at how many people died from the flu to COVID. I'm talking about worldwide. Worldwide, not countrywide. Worldwide. There are more people that died from the flu than COVID last year. And you can check that out. Because I know, because I was at a seminar this past, uh, what was it, um, December of last year, and that's what they were talking about. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Trey Lance, okay, he did not look good in game number one. Now, I know it was raining in Chicago. It was disgusting. And, uh, you know, Justin Fields didn't look good. And they, they lost a running back in Mitchell. That definitely affected uh, the way Trey Lance played in the game. What were your thoughts to Trey Lance? Do, do you think Trey Lance is going to figure things out, or 
Do you believe that this could be very much Jimmy Garoppolo's roster again in the next couple of weeks? You know, I expected it to be kind of the way it went with Trey Lance. I thought that he didn't play terribly. I don't think outstanding by any means, but after having a chance to watch the coach's film and really dissect it in a way where I had time to break down the game rather than just the initial reaction after, I thought he played well considering the context that it's his third NFL start and that there would be some time for him to gel and it was going to take a little bit of time to work out some of the mechanical things and get adjusted to being the guy at this level. My takeaway is just that it's going to take some time. And I think the 49ers made a firm commitment to the roadblocks and speed bumps that are going to come with having a young quarterback. You're a Jets fan. You know how it is when you have a guy that's making those mistakes and kind of having that, those growing pains as the season's progressing. I think that 49ers are banking on the roster around him being so strong that they have a little bit more room to get away with maybe missing a receiver or having an incompletion, not sustaining a drive, knowing that their defense is so good that it's going to allow them to stay in games. And I just think that at this point, like, I didn't watch that game and come away from it going, if Jimmy Garoppolo started that game, I think they would have won. I understand why Jimmy Garoppolo started towards the back end of last Mm. season particularly when there was an injury that Trey Lance was dealing with that they kind of kept under wraps. So I think that as of now, the commitment is to the future and the 49ers, it would, it would take something drastic for me to see them making a change. The only way I could see that really happening is if Trey were to have to miss some time because of an injury. And if Jimmy stepped in and they were just clicking on all cylinders, then it might be a situation where Kyle Shanahan's just going to ride the hot hand. There was a similar situation almost a decade ago with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick where that happened, where once Cap came in, even though Alex Smith was having a fine season before Kaepernick came in to replace him when he was injured, Harbaugh, that was the quote, I'm sticking with the hot hand, and that would be more of the outcome that I would see. I don't think it's going to be a situation like Trey Lance could go out and throw four interceptions this weekend against Seattle. I don't think the Niners are going to pull the plug on him. So we saw against the Bears, too. I think the 49ers really went back to something that was a big issue for them last year. Even though Debo Samuel had a great season last year, the team offense really struggled when they were trying to like only f- feed him. And I, th- I felt that was a big issue. Once the Bears took him away, they really could not adjust to that kind of thing. And the team offense got better when they started to spread it around. Did you see that kind of thing? And is that more of a coaching thing or a Trey Lance thing to you? Uh, I think it just comes down to, again, there's going to be some growing pains and some, you know, like uh, Brandon Ayuk, they had a big third down that got called back because Brandon Ayuk pushed off on an out route that, it, you know, he probably really didn't need to. And if he could take it back, I'm sure he would have. George Kittle missed that game. So that's another weapon that not only affects the passing game, but it also really affects what they could do on those outside runs. That offense is heavily predicated on that wide zone to the outside. So I don't have an issue with the way they were utilizing Samuel. He averaged six and a half yards a carry, and it felt like once Elijah Mitchell went down, he was the only, you know, reliable um, ball carrier in the running game. The thing that I would watch going forward, though, is how are they going to be able to adjust to playing from behind? Because that's when I thought things really got out of hand. And, yes, a lot of it had to do with once they were trailing and had to throw, the sky opened up and it started raining much harder than it had been. The offense as a whole, even if the conditions were good, it's more tailored to control the ball, run a lot. We saw a lot of these different looks where Trey Lance is running the zone read. He had 13 carries on the day himself. So I think that it's a team that where once they get behind one or two scores, I don't feel confident that they're equipped to air it out 20, 25 times in the second half of a game while they're trailing. They need to be able to run the ball. 
And that's more of the issue that I'd be looking at, not necessarily like target allocation, but just kind of situational football. And how are they going to be able to respond if they get behind 10, 14 points early on in a game? We are talking to uh, to SB Nation, Niners Nation, and staff writer Jordan Elliott. Jordan, Debo Samuel is a very big, intricate part of this offense. He, He really is. And you saw on Sunday how important he really is losing a guy like Mitchell. Now Mitchell could be out six to eight weeks. And, yes, they have a pretty good running back, you know, system, and they have a bunch of good young running running backs right there. But they're going to use a lot of Debo Samuels now as their top running back slash wide receiver. What is your take, uh, you know, in, in Debo Samuels right now going into week number two? Do you think that he dreads the fact that he is going to have to run the ball as much as he's going out there as the wide receiver trying to catch the ball? Or do you think that – he, he's taking this on himself to go out there and be the player that they need him to be. I think his whole stance this offseason when a lot of that got a lot of attention and there was the reports that he didn't want to be utilized as a running back, I think he just wanted to be compensated knowing the toll that getting that amount of carries as a wide receiver and being utilized in that role would take on his body. And I think now that he not only has the guaranteed money he got, but he also has rushing incentives built into his contract. I think he's more than okay with it. I think, again, it it was just something that I think a lot of NFL players need to do, which is to look out for their own best interests. And I think that he was just coming from a standpoint of, hey, if you want me to run the ball 10 times a game, I'll do it. But I expect to be compensated in a way that's going to protect me in the event that I should miss time due to the wear and tear that having that kind of workload will take on a player like me. So I think that's kind of my read on it. And it seems like he, you know, is willing to embrace that, you know, they called, they coined it the wide back last year, that kind of role. Um, and it's really hard to envision the offense without him doing that, because even when other teams kind of know it's coming, he is so dynamic with the ball in his hands. And it's not just that he's, you know, very physical and he runs with a lot of power. His ability to take certain angles um, around the edge on these outside zone carries and just his ability to navigate in traffic is so special that, I think it's at the point where you know how dynamic he is with the ball in his hands. And yes, you'd like to see him get the ball on some screens and some slants and some balls downfield. But if you need to manufacture those touches out of the backfield, the more times Debo's touching the ball, the better off your offense is going to be. And I think he knows that the 49ers know it. And now that he's being paid accordingly, I don't think he has an issue with it as much as it was being reported a couple months ago. Interesting. So back to the Elijah Mitchell injury, him being out now for a while. We've seen the 49ers go running back by committee. We've seen Kyle Shanahan just ride the hot hand for three straight weeks. And we've also heard some outside rumors, too, of them possibly bringing in some other running backs. Both of the Falcons dynamic duo that Kyle Shanahan was OC for in Atlanta, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. We've heard Coleman obviously just cut by the 49ers recently uh, before he went to the Jets. So do you see that kind of thing where they bring in somebody from the outside? Or do you think they're going to stick to their in, in t- in-house running backs? So they signed Marlon Mack to the practice squad a couple days ago. I don't expect that he would have a heavy workload or even be called up necessarily this week, but he's a veteran who gives them uh, a reliable presence because beyond Jeff Wilson Jr., who I expect to get the lion's share of the work, it's going to be Ty Davis-Price, their third-round pick out of LSU this year, and then Jordan Mason, who's an undrafted rookie out of Georgia Tech, who was really, really impressive during training camp. I'll be honest. I was there for the majority of the training camp practices, and I thought he was the most impressive back day after day. The biggest issue right now, though, is that you have a rookie quarterback, and you need a running back in the backfield who's going to not only be strong carrying the ball and reliable and not turn the ball over, but also be able to 
keep the quarterback on both feet when they're in pass protection, particularly on third down. And I think Jeff Wilson Jr. right now gives them the best advantage. The guy who I expect to be out there the most is Jeff Wilson Jr. because he is the most reliable as that guy who can pick up blitzes and pass protection. He's proven that he can carry that number one workload in the past when he's had it. And so I would expect him to kind of be the guy for now. And then I'd expect him to sprinkle in a little bit of Ty Davis Price, Jordan Mason, and then Marlon Mack as soon as he gets caught up with the offense after some time there. Jordan, George Kittle has been a part, a really big part of this offense, really with Jimmy Garoppolo. And he's been fighting injury for the last couple of years. And and this beginning of the season, he hasn't played in week one. We don't know if he'll be in week two. Some people say he could be in week two. He could. They could wait until week three uh, to unleash him. What's going on with George Kittle? Is this injury a significant injury when he comes back? Is he going to be fighting injury all season uh, with, with some of these uh, nicks and knacks that he has over the last couple of years? Or do you believe that after he comes back from this injury, uh, it'll be smooth sailing throughout the season? So he was dealing with a groin injury, and I think those are always tricky because those are ones that can be re-aggravated very easily, and especially when you have somebody who plays as physical as George Kittle does on every single play. You hear a lot of those cliches about people giving 110% and always putting their best effort forward. George Kittle is the embodiment of that. He is somebody, the 49ers could be down 30 points, and he's still going to give you everything he has on a given rep, whether it's a run-blocking assignment, whether it's him working on a five-yard out route and picking up six or seven yards after the catch. He is somebody that plays at 100 miles an hour at all times. Uh, you know, you guys are familiar with the all-gas, mm-hmm. no-break saying that Robert oh, Sala yes, loves going do. around. Yes. George, George Kittle, is uh, he definitely subscribed to that. And uh, I think that it's just kind of the price that you – it's what comes with the, the pros of George Kittle is the cons of at a certain point that's going to catch up to him and he probably will miss a game or two. I think it's very similar to kind of how it was with Rob Gronkowski for a number of years where you knew you were going to get a dynamic player when he was on the field, but the way he played the game left him more susceptible to injuries. Mm. And I think Kittle's a kind of the kind of player where he's only going to be held out. It really is serious, and it is a situation where they're concerned about re-aggravating it. I know that Kyle Shanahan stated that Kittle wanted to play this past weekend in Chicago, but they made a decision to rule him out rather early because they didn't want to risk it. And I think that's the right thing to do at this point. Obviously, you know, they ended up losing and losses in September count the same as they do in December. But with so much of the season ahead, you can't afford to lose a guy like Kittle long term. And I think the closer that the 49ers get to feeling comfortable that he's, you know, maybe 75, 80 percent, they'll allow him to go back out there. I don't think it's going to be a situation where they wait for him to get back to 100 percent, because, again, the way he plays the sport I don't know if the guy's ever at 100%, but he's going to go out and give you that 100% effort regardless of where he's at from a health standpoint. So I would expect to see him in the next couple of weeks, barring any major setbacks. But I think it's just a really – it's a precautionary thing at this point because those injuries are so tricky, especially when it comes to the groin and soft tissue stuff. So I want to go back to week one, obviously. A lot of people – were. Uh... 95% of people thought they were going to beat the Bears in week one, and the Bears pull off the upset, probably the biggest upset of week one. I think one of the things that has hurt Kyle Shanahan, as good as a, a coach as I think he is, is sometimes they've played down to teams. We saw them get swept by Seattle last year. Even in their Super Bowl year, they lost against Atlanta. Like Teams that aren't that good, they play down to sometimes. Have you seen that kind of thing in your time covering the 49ers? You know, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a playing down scenario because it, you're right. There is a pattern of them losing to teams that on paper they shouldn't be losing to. And to me, like, you know, any given Sunday, I, I subscribe to that. You know, that's one of the beauties of the NFL is that every team has a shot on a given day. 
But the problem is that I feel like they come in maybe a little bit undisciplined against some of those teams, and they start committing mistakes that you can't get away with against a top-tier team, and maybe you're not as disciplined against a team like the Bears because you think you're so overmatched from a talent standpoint, or so you overmatch them so much from a talent standpoint that, hey, we can have a couple false starts or a couple defensive penalties that, you know, extend drives. We'll make it up. It doesn't matter. In the full 60 minutes, we're still going to come away with a win. That, to me, is what ultimately cost them this game. They had 12 penalties for 99 yards, and they had a couple that were just absolutely back-breaking. You know, they're up 10-0. The Bears' offense hadn't gotten anything going. I'm pretty sure uh, they had three net passing yards Mm -hmm. halfway through the third quarter. And then uh, they tried running the ball on third and four, and the 49ers had this play pretty much wrapped up at the line of scrimmage. They had three or four defenders around the ball carrier, and uh, linebacker Dre Greenlaw reached his hand in trying to, you know, assist with the tackle, and he accidentally grabbed a bit of uh, the ball carrier's face mask. So that gives the Bears an automatic first down, and three plays later, Dante Pettis gets free on a broken play. All of a sudden, it's 10-7, and you have this huge momentum shift where you're going from getting the ball back up 10, and the Bears' offense hasn't had anything going, and they're the ones who are going to be coming back from a double-digit deficit when that rain starts coming down. And now you're looking at a situation where you've controlled this entire game, you're only up three, and then they continue to make a couple more mistakes. This snowball effect where once they started committing these egregious penalties and having a couple sloppy plays on offense, it just turned to a mess that they couldn't, you know, climb their way out of by the time the clock hit zero. We are talking SB Nation, Niners Nation, staff writer Jordan Elliott. Jordan, the Niners defense is one of the elite defenses in the NFL, especially the front seven. They have beasts of men. Uh, you know, they don't play like boys. They're men. Uh, Nick Bosa, when healthy, he's one of the best pass rushers in the league. He causes so much so much mischief on that other side of the uh, the line. But there are other guys that really stand out defensively, Drake Jackson, all these different guys that we, we talk about over the last couple of years. Where is this defense right now? Is this defense one of the elite defenses this year? Do you believe that this defense is going to show up week in and week out? I mean, I know they played Chicago, and Chicago did win, but their defense played very, very well, even in the rain. Is this team really known this year for their defense? Are they expecting this offense to be the 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 um, the off the offense to really step up and be the elite part of this de- this team moving forward? I think it all starts with the defense, and it starts specifically with the defensive line and that front seven you were talking about. Uh, they have a really talented trio of linebackers. I personally think Fred Warner is mm-hmm. the most valuable linebacker in the league because of the way he's able to cover. He is so good against the run and does all the traditional things a linebacker does in the box. But his ability to cover like a defensive back and not only pick up tight ends and running backs, but run with opposing teams, number one receivers, pick up guys out of the slot. He's just, he, he's incredible. Uh, the defensive line is just stacked across the board. You have guys like Samson Ebicom, Eric Armstead, who get overshadowed by the Nick Boses of the world. And they're phenomenal players in their own right, but they just have so many good players. If you're not following them on a daily basis and seeing them week in and week out, it's easy to kind of get lost in the, you know, in the fold of things. Um, the biggest change for this year, though, is that I think they have a true number one corner for the first time since they kind of brought in Richard Sherman, even though he was kind of on the downslope of his career mm-hmm. uh, on the back nine there. I think that having a corner like Traverius Ward has really changed things for them because Emmanuel Mosley's a very solid number two corner, but the way that uh, Traverius Ward has been able to travel with opposing teams, number one, right. uh, 
Uh, also lock up the 49ers own number ones. They have a couple very talented receivers themselves. Some of the best training camp battles were Traverius Ward and Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk. Doing that has allowed D'Amico Ryans to get a little bit more creative with some of the looks he's throwing out there. They're, they can send pressure a little bit more. They can play a little bit more man coverage. So this defense is top five for the last three seasons. And I think this is the most talented group on paper that they've had out of the three. So it'll be, you know, to be seen if they finish top five again. But just based on talent top to bottom and the things that they're able to do from a schematic standpoint, I think this is the best unit that they've had, which, again, says a lot when you've ranked as high as they have the last three seasons. Well, that's how you're able to safely let go of D Ford's bad contract, who still hasn't even been signed yet by another team. Mm-hmm. Get all the pass rush depth. So from a, uh, from a schematic standpoint, the, the creativity of the defense, the Niners are one of the lowest in terms of blitz rate, both when Robert Sala was there and now last year even too with Demeco Ryans too. But we've also seen moments in playoff games too where they trust their pass rush too much in, because they don't want to blitz and they're reluctant to. Can you see that kind of thing changing? Not necessarily with Warner, but maybe even some of their other linebackers maybe coming on the rush or even the corners? I think that there was a bit of an adjustment. So as you mentioned last year, I thought it was extremely interesting because Ryan's did blitz, but some of the times he did dial them up were in the biggest moments, you know, in green or uh, yeah, green Bay, there was a blitz where they were down seven. It was right before that blocked punt that they had that got them back in that game against green Bay, where they dialed up a blitz on third and long, where that was not a tendency they had. I imagine green Bay's offensive staff, and Aaron Rodgers, when they're doing their game planning all week, that was not a look they expected. They did the same thing on fourth and – I want to say it was like fourth and two or fourth and one in that Dallas game on that ball where Dak just missed connecting with Cedric Wilson downfield, but they sent a zero blitz in that moment. So they don't do it very often, but D'Amico Ryans has shown that he has the trust in his players in big moments and big spots to dial up those pressures, and I expect that to increase exponentially this year having more faith in the cornerback position because you got to think last year it was really rough they lost Jason Verrett who was going to be their number one corner they lost him week one Emmanuel Mosley was out for a majority of the season so they had to sign guys like Josh Norman and Drake Kirkpatrick and start rookies like Diamador Lenore and Ambry Thomas and they still finished with a top five defense so I think now that you have two corners that you can trust that are there and that are healthy I think that you'll see a lot more willingness for D'Amico Ryans to get a little bit more creative the pressures and the blitzes that he's calling. We are talking to SB Nation, Niners Nation, staff writer Jordan Elliott. Uh, Jordan, the NFC West is very interesting. The 49ers, the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Seattle Seahawks. Only one team won this week, which benefits the Niners after losing against Chicago. The Cardinals lose. The Rams lose. I mean, this is arguably the best division in the NFC, one of the best divisions in football. And now you're going into week number two, and and the Niners need to show up this week. They really do. And they have a hard task. They really do this week. As much as you look at all these different teams, the Cardinals, the Rams, even the Seahawks, the Seahawks played the Broncos, and it wasn't – it wasn't an easy game for them, but they, they pulled off a win. Nobody thought Geno Smith was going to win. Okay, Nobody and their mother thought Geno Smith was going to win uh, on Monday Night Football. But he did. What are your thoughts in this division? I mean, everybody is picking the Rams to win this division, but the 49ers, they don't, a lot of people don't, tra- they don't, they don't trust Trey Lance. Nobody does. And maybe that's why they brought Jimmy Garoppolo back. Maybe that's why they gave him a $7 million extension for this year, uh, and he's the highest-paid backup quarterback in the NFL. I don't know why they did it, but obviously there's a reason behind it. And then there's the Cardinals. 
I'm looking forward to watching them on hard knocks, but that defense looked really bad in week one against the Kansas City Chief team. And uh, I, I still don't know what Kyler Murray is with uh, Kingsbury. What is going on in this division? Where do you see this division falling this year? So my preseason prediction was I had the 49ers winning the division at 11-6. and six. I had a lot of question marks about their depth, and I felt like Matthew, there was a lot more to that Matthew Stafford injury than was being reported on, and it's still early, but there were times in that game against Buffalo where he just he, he looked like he was throwing from different arm angles, and it didn't look like it was a situation where that was by choice. It looked like he was compensating a bit on some of those throws. So I just think that they're a team where they can absorb missing a player like Stafford for an extended period or even not having him near 100%, which I think is a very realistic possibility, unfortunately, based on what's being reported with the stuff he's dealing with with his elbow. The Colonels, you know, they're a team that's really fascinating because they've given the 49ers problems in recent years, but they just seem to falter down the back stretch of every season. And I think a lot of that just has to do with them not having depth on the defensive side of the ball either. And they have a couple injuries here or there, and it's not something they're able to overcome. And then with Seattle, Seattle's the, you know, ultimate, no matter what the situation is, throw the record out because they beat the 49ers 16 of the last 20 times they've played. Which is unbelievable. It's just one of those things where it's funny. 49ers fans hate talking about it, but I think even they, the point where you can't ignore it, you can't make excuses for it. It just happens. Uh, Even last season, when the 49ers were a playoff team and the Seahawks were far from it, they managed to pull out both of those wins. It's a little different now, obviously. You know, Bobby mm-hmm. Wagner, Russell Wilson aren't there anymore. But it's one of those things where until the 49ers start stacking some wins against them, you almost have to go into these games assuming that it's going to be a dogfight and be a battle for the 49ers throughout. So, you know, I still think the 49ers have a chance to win that division. I think that, you know, them, the Rams, the Cardinals are all going to be somewhere between 8 and 11 wins. I don't think one single team from this division is, you know, vying for the one seed or is winning 13 or 14 games. I just think the schedule is too tough. All the teams in the division have to play the AFC West, which is extremely talented. And we've seen even the NFC South, who's the other division they'll face off against. There's some really talented teams in Tampa, New Orleans, and even, you know, Carolina looks like a team that's formidable as well. So I expect the 49, you know, I'm not wavering. I'm one of those people where I stick to my predictions until they're wrong and then I'll hold the L and own it when it's, when it, you know, the time comes. I still think 10 or 11 wins gets this division title and gets a home playoff game for whoever ends up doing it. And I just think the 49ers defense and their depth is too good to overlook. And unless we're halfway through the season and Trey Lance isn't progressing at all and calls for Jimmy G get louder and all that turmoil is going on, I have no reason to waver off the pick I made preseason. But I do think it was a fascinating storyline week one that you have these heavyweight teams at the top. They all lose. And then Seattle with Geno Smith (laughs) wins the revenge game. Come on. You don't trust you don't trust Geno Smith, the great and powerful Geno Smith in a division where you have a young rookie like Trey Lance, you have Kyler Murray who can't stay healthy, and I don't know uh, a, a Matthew Stafford who did win a Super Bowl last year. That's not a hundred percent healthy. Why not say Geno's the best quarterback in the division right now? I mean, I'd throw up. And I definitely wouldn't pick him in my fantasy. But, uh, hey, he's the only one with a win right now. So maybe he goes into week two, wins another one, and they're 2-0 Seattle without Russell Wilson. (laughs) I made a lot of jokes last season about how I thought Geno was the best quarterback on the team for them because I just felt it feels like at times Russell Wilson misses so many throws over the middle where he's just not even seeing it. And it's hilarious because I have a lot of friends who are Seahawks fans in the Seattle area 
And they're like, whoa, what happened? What changed with Gino? I'm like, well, he can see over the line of scrimmage. And that's what happened. He had a quarterback that can see over the middle of the field. And he was 23 and 28. You know, like, again, it wasn't anything that was crazy. Impressive, I know you guys are no. familiar with him in, in New York. But he is somebody where I can see the Seahawks where they're, uh, you know, I know a lot of people thought they were going to tank. I don't think a Pete Carroll-led team is ever going to go into a season tanking. Pete Carroll, for whatever your opinion is on him, I've watched this guy closely for the last 20 years between USC and uh, Seattle. His teams are going to come ready to play. They're going to be disciplined on special teams. They're going to have a solid defensive game plan. Whether or not they have the players to execute it is another story. <laughs> but I still see Seattle pulling out, you know, six or seven wins. The Geno Smith revenge game was the was definitely a weird one. And then you had to experience the Dante Pettis one, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. and I, oh, Okay, so I'm a big Dante Pettis guy, to be honest with you. I, I was two I, out of the draft. I was. I, I've always thought that he was somebody. So it's so funny. I'm a Cal Bears fan, unfortunately. And I remember uh, watching a game where Pettis went for three touchdowns against them uh, here in Berkeley and it was like 2016 so when the Niners drafted him I was ecstatic I saw a ton of him I'm a Pac-12 guy so I watched him a ton I just feel like it's a situation where he has so much talent I know he was in New York for a little bit with the Giants as well the route running abilities there there's times where he looks like he can be that guy I just don't know how it hasn't come together for him yet and I thought it was so poetic that he was the guy to catch that back-breaking touchdown that ultimately opened the floodgate. So I'm with you on, you know, Fort Niners fans are obviously bummed about the loss, but um, the Dante Pettis revenge game was a storyline that I'm not going to lie. I was very, very here, very much here for, you know. I'm, I'm a Giants fan, so I actually liked Dante Pettis when he was there the oh, one yeah. year, too. And I was, I mean, he's not going to be a star, but he liked him as like a number three type receiver. So uh, my question, you mentioned calls about Jimmy G about the, from the Fort Niners fan, but we've also been hearing rumors of calls of Jimmy G as a potential trade from the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowgirls! Come on! With Dak Prescott's injury. So even if it's not the Cowboys or anyone, the Cowboys or anybody else, could you still see the 49ers still try to move Jimmy Garoppolo, being he's only on a one-year deal if Trey Lance does play well? You know, I, so this is my whole take on it. I don't think the 49ers are going to be working the phone lines actively trying to shop Jimmy. But if Dallas calls and they're desperate and Dak's going to be out for, you know, three quarters of the season and Jerry Jones doesn't have the patience to have another losing year – if they get really desperate and offer a second round pick or something like that, then it, I think John Lynch will be open and willing to listen. But I don't think it's a situation where the 49ers are going to go out of their way to move him. I think for the number they got him at, he gives them a level of security where no matter what they say about Trey Lance, they know they have Jimmy G in their back pocket where if things go, again, if he gets injured or if things aren't going the way they want, they have somebody that the locker room believes in that they're not going to have to take a bunch of time, uh, you know, teaching the offense to absorbing the playbook and all that stuff. And as good as Brock Purdy looked for 262nd pick in the draft, being Mr. Irrelevant, if Trey Lance goes down, there's a outcome where you put Jimmy G in and the 49ers still have a chance of being a playoff team this year. It if is Trey Lance a- goes down and you put Brock Purdy in, it, it would take some extreme mm. optimism to convince yourself that they're still a playoff team. I do think the Dallas thing is interesting mm-hmm. because I, I wonder how long it's going to take Jerry Jones and the Cowboys brain trust to watch Cooper Rush. No offense to Cooper Rush. I don't know how much of him they're going to be able to watch before they're like, all right, we need to get, we need to do something. We're, we're, this is desperation time. They've been on the verge for years. They had, a, in my opinion, they had one of the more talented rosters in football last year, and losing that playoff game at home to the 49ers the way they did, I'd imagine that leave a bad taste in anybody's mouth, but especially Jerry Jones. So it's a really fascinating discussion. I think it's something where it could take one weekend of really bad Cooper Rush, and they're on the phone lines like, all right, we're going to have to give up a pick. We didn't feel comfortable giving up a week ago, but desperate teams make desperate offers, and I think that's where the 49ers are at. I think it's crazy that – they decided to part ways with Jimmy Garoppolo. This is a guy that took you all the way 
to an NFC title game last year, was one game away from going to the Super Bowl. And you, I understand you you drafted this kid. You gave up a significant amount of draft stock uh, for this kid. This kid is unproven. He, he barely had a college season in the COVID year. He played, what, one game? He was a top 10 pick. Uh, a lot of people thought they were reaching with Trey Lance. But nevertheless, I heard that the 49ers wanted Zach Wilson, but they had no chance of getting him because of the whole Jets thing. But you look at Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I would have just gone into the season with Jimmy G. If Jimmy G started to lose, then I bring in the kid. I, I mean, you have a chance to win a championship this year. You have a good roster, have a good defense, you have weapons, I, you have a chance to win. And Jimmy G, I think, gives you the best chance to win. I just think I think you're reaching, and I, again, I am not a Kyle Shanahan fan. If you know who I am, I think he's a very overrated head coach. I never liked him, and I don't even like the guys that worked for him. Uh, the Mike LaFleurs of the world, who are right now running my organization as an offensive coordinator, he stinks, okay? I don't want him there, but that's just my opinion. And and then, obviously, I, I like Robert Saleh. He just needs to stay away from those receipts, if you know what I mean. Um, but... I, I just – I don't know if I trust this kid, and I, I don't know if I trust Kyle Shanahan going to this kid as early as he, uh, he has when I don't know if he's ready. I don't think he's ready. And it might set this team back, and, and team, you know, people might take shots at the San Francisco 49ers five, six games into the season when they're, what, one in four or one in five, one in five in the, their first six games – and you have this kid leading the way when you had a chance to start the season with Jimmy G, and he gives you the best chance to win. Am I right or wrong? I, I do. Do you really believe that Trey Lance was the right pick starting the season in this early season, going with a rookie? I think for, for they already made the decision to draft him, and he's here. So in this moment, yes, I think they had to. My biggest, you know, concern and kind of where I've been second guessing was the decision to not move off of Jimmy G. I think that that was something that was justifiable. I think that there was room for upgrade. But pivoting to not only a rookie, but a very unproven rookie, as you said, to me, it it's unfair to two, two different groups of people, right? It's unfair to the 49ers veterans in that locker room who are going to have to deal with the growing pains, who, you know, signed on to be a part of this championship caliber roster that is capable of making a deep playoff run. They've made two in the last three years. And I also think it's really unfair to Trey Lance, who is a rookie quarterback, who is going to need some time to grow. And the expectation is you need to hit the ground running right out of the gate because you have such a talented team, because you have all these playmakers. He doesn't get the same, you know, amount of leeway that a lot of younger quarterbacks do. So my whole thing is that, you know, you, you had guys like Matthew Stafford. There's the rumors that Tom Brady was interested in. The 49ers weren't interested in him. A lot of that stuff we may never know the full truth on of how those things unfolded behind the scenes. But if that were true, to me, the mistake wasn't drafting Trey Lance. To me, the mistake would have been turning down a guy like Tom Brady because I'm not saying that you can just find a Trey Lance in any draft class, but I would have much rather seen the 49ers take a swing on the younger quarterback after having Tom Brady come play for two or three years with this team. I believe, and I will take this to my grave, that if you put Tom Brady on either of the last two 49ers teams, they even win. losing Bosa in 2020, they win. they're the very least a playoff team. And you get Tom Brady in the playoffs, anything can happen. So that, to me, was the more egregious mistake, was kind of having this window where you have a team that's ready to win now. You identified that you needed to move on, you know, move on from Jimmy and get an upgrade. 
but the window doesn't really line up with the team. And I'm sure you can appreciate, you know, as a Jets fan, not easy to build a good roster from top to bottom. There's a lot of NFL franchises that struggle to do it. The 49ers struggled to do it for the majority of the last 20 seasons. And to finally have that in place and then have everything riding on a quarterback whose development is going to have to be accelerated as much as Trey Lance's is, to me, it creates a lot more unneeded pressure that's already there for a young quarterback making that transition. Jordan, what do you want? You want before we let you go, you want me to throw up or something? Because you mentioned the Jets, and every time I think about the Jets, I just want to throw up more and more and more. I mean, hey, if it makes you feel any better, I was a huge Wayne Corbett guy. I yeah. loved Curtis Martin. Yeah. I was a Chad Pennington shooter. So, you. and they the never Bills, won. They yeah. never won. That <laughs> roster never won with Wayne Corbett, Curtis Martin, uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Are you kidding me? And this roster is pretty damn good on paper, but I'm 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 sorry. Uh, after hearing what Robert Sala said this week, I'm taking receipts. It makes me think that this is going to turn into a clown circus again with the New York Jets. I like Robert Sala, but something tells me this is going to turn into. Uh, a season of disgraceful football, okay? I don't know. I'm hoping that not to believe that, but I like some of the pieces that we've seen. Sauce Gardner looks like he's the real deal. I like Garrett Wilson. If they actually play him, thank you, Mike, for not playing him enough. So when he was out there, he looked pretty damn good. And when's Zach Wilson coming back? Is he coming back? And is he going to be the player that... Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur, and the great Joe Douglas believed he was. Because if he isn't, we're going to start over again with one, two, three, four, five quarterbacks drafted in the first and second round in the last 11 years. Is there any team in NFL history that's had first and second round picks of five in 11 years? And the answer is none. So... The New York Jets are not very good at drafting uh, a quarterback or the guy that runs below, you know, the offense the way we have seen. Sam Darnold, a mistake. Mark Sanchez, uh, he wasn't a mistake, but he, you know, he's not in the NFL anymore. For a guy that's, what, 33 years old, 34 years old, usually quarterbacks play to the 36, 37, unless you really stink, a.k.a. Mark Sanchez. I, I mean, we could go down and up the roster. There are guys that... Christian Hackenberg, he's, uh, where is he? Is he working on a farm now or something like that? Cleaning, cleaning horse shit? Excuse my language. That's probably what he's doing. So I, I don't know what's going on with this, but hopefully you're, you're Mike LaFleur, and I say you're Mike LaFleur because I, I, I don't want him there, okay? I think he's an idiot. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I think. And, and after, I don't know if you've been following what Mike LaFleur has been saying. Uh, you know, since he's been here with the Jets. Did you hear his uh, Monday uh, excuses? Did you hear that? No, to be honest, I'm so consumed with 49 or something. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You, 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 were, don't, you don't have to deal with the excess. Oh, my God. If you had to, if you listen to this guy speak, and, and, and people said this guy is a genius, and the, him coming to the Jets, is he's the next big offensive mind to get a coaching job. If any team is stupid enough right now to give this guy a coaching job, Good luck. He'll be there one year like Josh McDaniels was with the Broncos, and he will be out like Trout, okay? There is no way in hell this guy is going to be able to run a team for what I've seen this offense to be. This There is no stability in that offense. It is a disgrace. And I know what you're going to say. Well, Joe Flacco, how about last year with Zach Wilson, even in the second half, and he looked half decent when he was in the first half. The play calling is horrible. 
I Kyle Shanahan, I'm not a big Kyle Shanahan fan, but at least Kyle Shanahan knows how to run an offense. He makes mistakes at the end of the game, and when he has the lead, he doesn't run the ball when he should be running the ball. But nevertheless, I trust that Kyle Shanahan knows what he does offensively. This man, he is not, he's not McVay. He's not his brother. He's not anybody I've seen that comes from the tree of Kyle Shanahan. What I see is a worthless piece of you-know-what who sits there and, and makes excuses after the fact when your team, with all the weapons you have, you should have heard what he said a couple of weeks ago. Oh, we've got the weapons to win. We got Carrot Wilson. We got Elijah Moore. We got this guy. We got that guy. You throw the ball to Corey Davis, who has pot hands. Pod hands. He's a horrible wide receiver. And that's what you brought into your organization. A pot hand SOB. Okay? I'm tired of it. I, I don't even want to hear it anymore. Robert Sala needs to go out there. I'm sorry I'm ranting and raving right now. It just makes me sick to my stomach. And he come, they come from your organization. I just want to see my team win already. I'm disgusted. I am disgusted with this team. Jordan got the whole scoop of all of his uh, exes now that he got to see uh, the good word of Dante Pettis. Now I got to see the Man, I want to get a shotgun and shoot myself in the head watching this team play offense. Are you kidding me? I mean, even the you, you bring all these offensive linemen, you bring in Lincoln Tomlinson. He's a guard. He's a pro ball guard from your team. He stuck it up. Week one. He couldn't stop a nosebleed. I mean, that was horrible. Okay? It just, it's just, I just... I'm so drained watching my team play, and I just they t- they're bringing players in, they're bringing all these players from San Francisco, and I expect them to be good with the Jets, and and then they play Week One, and I'm like, what am I watching? I'm I'm watching a Pee Wee football team play. All right, here's an idea: Denzel Bin for Dante Pettis trade, oh. save the season. I, I, no, how about this? How about this? I will trade any Jet right now, okay, for Fred Warner. Okay, would you do that? <laughs> All, right. All right, Jordan, give, give your realistic trade package. So you would want for the Jets for Fred Warner. Best linebacker in football. Make it happen. What, what, would, you, would, you, what would you want from the Jets? I'll trade you Kawan Alexander. <laughs> it would start with Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore, and there would be a lot more after that. But it would, it would start at that. If, that was ever, if I was ever playing GM in that role, I would never want to part with Fred Warner. But I'm, I'm a very big fan of Elijah Moore and oh, so Garrett Wilson. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting Garrett at the draft in Vegas. I talked to him for a little bit. I was very impressed. To be honest, when I thought the 49ers and Jets might be making a trade involving Debo Samuel, mm-hmm. um, I, he, Garrett Wilson was the guy that I was hoping San Francisco would take if they mm-hmm. did make that move. So as long as somebody's there eventually to get him the ball, I think those guys can be great. I love Michael Carter as well. I was very high on him coming out of North Carolina. So I can understand your pain because the pieces are there. It just – you know, it, it's 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 very annoying. It's your guy. It's your guy. It's Mike Lafleur. That is the poison. That is the poison we need to get rid of. Robert Sala, listen to this kid. Reach out to Jordan Elliott. Help us out here. Fire that guy. It's disgusting. I can't sit here and watch it anymore. It's just horrible. See, now, jo- just, Jordan, oh in, your, my God. in your hypothetical offense that this trade does happen, they should just have George Kittle play offensive line and just have no running backs. Then you have a wide receiving core of Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, oh. Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, and Jawan Jennings. How it's do pretty you, insane. How do you bring in Conklin <laughs> and C.J. Osuma and you bring these guys in? You spend all this money, and you don't use them. You throw it to a guy that barely made the team. What are you, nuts? And then you sit here, and you're trying to sell that at the end of the game? 
I can't. I think. I think Michael Floor thinks we're stupid. I really think that he thinks that Jet fans are just dopes. They can't. They don't know anything about football because we've seen losing season after losing season after losing season. And Robert Sala says, "Oh, we're going to prove it. We're going to prove it to you. We're taking re- receipts. How about you do this? Figure out how you're going to run your offense. Bring in." a real offensive coordinator that actually knows what he's doing. And when Kyle Shanahan eventually gets fired from San Francisco after he's wrong about Trey Lance, then you bring him in here, and hopefully we don't leave it up to him at the end of the game to stop running the ball. If that happens, we win a Super Bowl. I doubt that's going to happen, by the way. But we really appreciate you joining us. I'm sorry I'm screaming at you and attacking you. I'm sure this is a very interesting interview, but... uh, we really appreciate your knowledge of the San Francisco 49ers. We'll bring you on again. Uh, we'll, we'll actually bring you on with some of the SB Nation guys from Seattle, which we've had on the show, and the Rams, uh, and, and, and kind of see where you all are at in the middle of the season. Speedy, you have to do that. Get some SB Nation guys out from, from the division Rams, Arizona, and Seattle, and we'll bring on Jordan Elliott, and then we'll see who knows more about their team and kind of – See what what kind of like uh, pizzazz these guys have against one another. What do you think about that, Speedy? Very interesting. I think it'll be very very interesting. Yeah. As as Jordan uh, Elliott over here is a very smart guy. He knows his stuff. He knows his football. He knows his you know his Forty ers and uh, maybe he does uh, see something in Trey Lance that nobody else sees. But uh, only time will tell. Jordan, thank you for joining us, bud. Hey, absolute pleasure. Anytime, fellas, you let me know. It's an absolute pleasure to come on. Well, I, I, I'll tell you this. You'll probably get off and say, man, that guy is a psychopath. But uh, hey, hey, one of my one of my uh, really good buddies is from New Jersey, so I always appreciate the East Coast sports. He always reminds me, like I said, I'm from California, and uh, we have a different level of passion. There's passionate sports fans here, but I always appreciate the intensity that the New York sports fan has, so I, I respect it, truly. Oh. You, you guys would have had a Super Bowl parade ten times the size of the Rams one. Are you kidding You know, we would have had one, God, 11 years ago. I was at that game where uh, Eli Manning had one of the grittiest performances I've ever seen at yes. the championship game in 2011, and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know you remember that one well. That oh, was yeah. One where that was a good one. I really felt like they let one get away, but I tipped my cap. That was I, really was, I, was, I was actually so grateful you guys won the round before because I think the Saints would have destroyed them. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. there's a chance because I thought that was like a very new team, very surprised team that year, that, that Niners mm-hmm. team just coming out of nowhere, 13-3, and three, and we're a number two seed. But I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, the Giants are gritty. They have a chance. Mm-hmm. Well... Absolutely. Well, uh, New Jersey, New York, whatever you want to call us, East Coast sports, uh, I would give my 10 best years for your 10 worst years and for the New York Jets, okay? That just tells you how bad the Jets have been, okay? So just so you know. And I, and well, I am I'm rooting for you over here on the West Coast. I'm um, hoping that you, you turn it around. Of you, course you, you are because Robert Saller's running my team. You love <laughs> Robert Saller as all the 49ers we've had calling our show and interacting with us. Oh, you guys are so lucky to have Robert Saller. And now I'm sitting here and saying, am I lucky or am I going to kill myself at the end of the year because I'm sitting here taking receipts from Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur's terrible play calling offensively. Maybe so. Robert Sala and, uh, Robert Sala and oh uh, Lake and Tomlinson will be back on the 49ers in two years. Uh, one question before we let you go, because just my opinion. You know Garrett. You like Garrett Wilson, right? You like him. Yeah. Okay. You, you bring him in and you draft him at number 10. Why is it? That you're playing him in, you know, certain patterns of offensive play calling and not playing him every single, you know, 
every single rep when you know that he is your best wide receiver on your team. What common sense do you have? If, if it was up to me, I don't care if he knows anything about the playbook. Just go down the field, run a damn route, and catch the goddamn ball, okay? Do that for us, and I'll actually be excited. But no, Mike LaFleur is all about, well, you got to know the playbook. It's very intense. That's why Denzel Mims is going to be going, play, going somewhere else next year and becoming a superstar wide receiver somewhere else. That's what makes me sick to my stomach. What the hell are you doing? I, I, I just, I, I have just, I'm done. I'm done. I am going to stop watching the Jets. If this team still is, is what they are when Zach Wilson comes back with the weapons they have, I'd rather sit on a toilet, take a dump, and read a newspaper than watch the New York Jets. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to have a heart attack here. It, it's, it's disgusting. It really is. Take that for SB Nation New York Jets. You can come and call this. Uh, we've had the. Did we have the SB Nation? No, that New was York? the other guy that was supposed to be on tonight. Oh, that'll be great when he He's comes a on. Time guy for oh, SB Nation. You, you'll definitely have to watch that show, bud, because when he does come on next week, and I, I can't wait to hear his excuses because I am a Jet fan, and I'm not going to sit here and just say. Well, it's okay. We just have losing season after losing season after losing season. And we have to see that garbage of a football team. Okay? And that's what they are. As far as I'm concerned, until they go out, go into Cleveland, put on a game. I don't care if you lose. Just show up and play a decent game. I will be happy with that. I do not want to see another 27 or 28-point game where you're letting Lamar Jackson throw not one, but two 40-yard touchdown passes. Lamar Jackson. Okay? That's all. Thank you, Jordan. I'm sorry. Thank you guys so much. No, it's all, hey, I'll, be, I'll be tuning in for sure. I, I, I look forward to hearing it. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. I love this kid, pleasure. by the way. Good job, Speedy. Love mm-hmm. this kid. SB Nation, Niners Nation, staff writer Jordan Elliott. Seeing my uh, ranting and raving of this Garbage football team. Oh my god. Oh, they had to. Uh, the Forty ers had to build it up so that they just go to the Jets. I, I don't care. I'll take their backup players over my players right now. I am. I'm tired of watching this team. I. 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 I I've never seen uh, just absolute garbage coming out of the coaches at the end of the game from the defensive corner to the offensive corner to the coach. I'm tired of listening to the excuses. I. T- I'm just. You rave about this guy, Robert Sala. And I, I loved – did I not tell you I loved Robert Sala? Yeah, I know. I love him. I love him. But after this week, I don't know what I, I – to believe with him anymore. I, I don't know what to believe with this team. And, and, and the excuses these players have at the end of the game. I mean, come on. Oh, it was raining. <laughs> are, are you kidding me? Did, did anybody watch the 49ers and Chicago Bears game? I mean, Oh, you mean the Dante Pettis revenge game? I'm talking about the swimming pool they were playing in. Okay, there was no excuses from any one of those players. Not even Trey Lance made a complaint. But the New York Jets, the little drizzle, the little drizzle. Well, I couldn't catch the ball because it was wet. Are you kidding me? It's just it's garbage. And and, and could could they actually hold on to the ball for five seconds? (laughs) I mean, uh, uh, anyways, uh, uh, anyways, uh, Jordan, we'll, uh, we'll exit you. We really appreciate Thank it. You. I appreciate it. Hey, like I said, I'm pulling for you, buddy. I, uh, ho- hopefully we can talk mid-season. The Jets are above 500 or somewhere. Near Good luck on that. About 500. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's what I'll say. If the Jets are 500, Jesus is coming down, okay? <laughs> 
That's what I'm going to say because I have no, no, no good things to talk about with this team, and I don't see it to happen anymore. So thank you. Wow. I scared him away, by the way. No, I, I, did. I just clicked him out. <laughs> I, I scared him away. I mean, uh, but I'm just saying, I mean, he'd, he'd be scared to come on the show again. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> I, I, I nah, mean, he'd enjoy it. He'd enjoy it. He, he, he needs someone else to vent about the 49ers exes. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it is absolute garbage that I'm watching. I, I can't rant and I can't rave about my team anymore about what I've seen and how happy I am of what I've watched. I mean, it's one game. I know that's what people are going to say. It's one game. But I'm listening to the players saying, oh, we're going to prove ourselves. Do you believe in magic? Because <laughs> I don't. I don't believe in magic, and I don't believe that any magician, any abracadabra, you know, whatever they use to, to, to cast a spell. I, I wouldn't even say cast a spell. This is, we're not talking say, about wizards. We're talking about magic. Well, yeah, I was uh, gonna say the the, the the Jets' only form of deception. Magic. That's it. There you go. That's a, say, that's a pers- that's, a, say, that's a perfect word. I was gonna say the, the Jets' only form of mystical things they get is voodoo. <laughs> I mean, look, look, the Chargers are gonna lose a game they should have won. I mean, yeah. While you were ranting about the the Jets things, two th- two big things happened. Justin Herbert, he stepped back in now, but went down with look, what looked like a wrist injury, and then the oh, Chiefs took the lead on a Justin Herbert threw a pick six when they were out of the three yard line, and the uh, the Chiefs rookie defensive back, a seventh round pick, Jalen Watson, returned it for a touchdown, and that's where we stand. Just now. let Jordan Elliott know that I am not crazy like that. I I, I just want him to understand. That I just had it. I had to rant on that. <laughs> it's been a long day, and as a Jet fan, I can't sit here and, and watch the garbage anymore. Okay, I've been talking about it and speaking about it for a very long time, and I'm just completely drained from talking about it. So thank you to uh, Niners SB Nation and Niners staff writer Jordan Elliott for joining us, and hopefully. Uh, He's not going to be scared to join us again. And that concludes Errol's Jeff, uh, Jets, ra- Jets rant. Venting. Yeah, no more venting about the New York <laughs> Jets tonight. I mean, I mean, just listening. I mean, that's a Niners guy. And, and right. I, I just wanted to tell him that Mike LaFleur, you can take him back. You can take him back. You can take whoever you want back except Robert Sala. I think Robert Sala could still be a good coach. I really do. I just, this play calling that Michael LaFleur, the calls and the, the stupidity I mean, there was not one good call on Sunday. Not one. There was not one trick play, nothing that worked. I, I mean, as a Jet fan, you have Dable over there in the first game of his career as a New York Jet, I mean, a New York Giant head coach, and he beat the Tennessee Titans in Tennessee, okay? And and the play calling at the end of the game was actually actually naturally good, brilliant at the end of the game. I thought it was some of the best I've ever seen from any giant offensive coordinator. That I'm not even talking about just the bad ones recently. Even when Coughlin was there, a lot of the offensive coordinators. The end of that game was really brilliantly called in key moments too for the Giants. Thank you. Keep bragging about it because I you know I I can't brag about it with the, the garbage that I've been watching. And the Jets have a much more talented team than the Giants. They do. I, I uh, said that and, for a while. And, uh, the Giants have much, still one of the eight worst rosters in the league. Much more talented roster than the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. And the Giants looked more like a team than the Jets ever did. Okay? And that tells you about coaching. Yep. 
the Giants probably ran more motion in that one game alone than eight games with Jason Garrett last year. Yeah, his offensive well. coordinator. Yes, I know you like Jason Garrett, so you're gonna find a way to defend him. But no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna defend him. I'm not gonna defend anything. What I've seen. The, so the far. one thing Giants fans and Cowboys fans can actually agree on. <laughs> uh, before we get into our NFL picks, I, I do want to go over this Suns owner Robert Sar- uh, Ro- Robert Sarver, who is going to be suspended for one year for racial incentive remarks that he made. Um, here's the thing. A lot of people think that Sarver should sell his team. I mean, we've seen this before. Remember the Clippers? This has happened before. And I don't know if, you know, Chris Paul, and Chris Paul was a part of that Clipper team when that was going on, and now he's a part of the Suns. I don't know if Chris Paul wants to play for this guy Sarver now. I, I don't know what's going on. But why is LeBron James, who has nothing to do with this, Nothing. Why is he opening his mouth? Now, I understand he's the best player in the NBA or the face of the NBA, and he's the superstar since Michael Jordan uh, that's taken over the league by, you know, by being the king, I guess. But why is he speaking? Why isn't Chris Paul speaking? Why isn't Devin Booker speaking? Why is DeAndre Ayton not speaking about this? Those are your three superstars over there that are making a lot of money and that have been a face, been the face of that franchise for the last two years. Why is LeBron James, who has nothing to do with the Phoenix Suns, why is he speaking up? Is there a reason? I mean, honestly. Now, do I think Robert Sarver should sell his team? That's up to the NBA. I mean, I'm, I, I don't think anybody should be forced to sell their team for just just because of that because we don't know the full extension of that right now if there is proof there was proof with the clippers right there was video and audio i don't know if there's video and audio with this so it's 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 really hearsay right it's right now only sources but a lot of them have actually said that sarver have, have said some things that were even worse but again you're right there's no actual video proof at the moment of if him. there was yeah he should lose his team yeah, absolutely but if there is none you you can't pin it on him to say that he said it even though there was multiple people that said it because it's all hearsay and that's that's the way the world works if you don't have video, and sometimes audio doesn't hold up in court. Correct. So I, I, I think it's disgusting. I think he's a disgusting person. Nobody should be racist. You're playing in a game and you're owning a sports team that is predominant African-American. It really is. I think I would say about 85% of the league is African-American. So... Knowing that you should not be saying the things that you say. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care. I was raised never to look at the color of of the skin to be different from your own. That's the way I was raised. But there are other people that are raised differently. Okay? I think it was wrong. I think it's disgusting. Do I think, it's, uh, do I think LeBron James should be opening his mouth and getting involved with it? No. 
Well, yeah, and, uh, Chris Paul actually did say something actually during our show. Uh, he said, like many others, I reviewed the report and I, I was uh, and am horrified and disappointed with what I read, this conduct, especially towards women. So there's actually some stuff for, towards women, too. I, I was reading just racism. So is unacceptable and must never be repeated. So if that's the case, there could even be an even further investigation because what I was reading was racial behavior dating back to last year that the Suns were initially being investigated on before, uh, before they went to the NBA Finals kind of around then. And Chris Paul now mentioning is also his behavior with women, and we're seeing that with with Dan Snyder, all the stuff that happened over there. And he hasn't been yet to force to sell the team, but the NFL is pushing for that kind of thing. It could happen very soon. You wonder if that same kind of thing could happen with the NBA once they do get proof. Because you're right, the audio video is going to be necessary more than audio, just because that could be doctored easily uh, with recording devices. Whereas video, you have to get it right from a camera and security camera, or whatever it is in the stadium or in the offices, whatever. So if there's proof of that. Yeah, absolutely going to be selling the team. Now, from the Suns' standpoint, yeah, that could definitely be a, a swaying point that if he's still there as the owner, they're not going to be able to bring in other guys. And I was talking about the Suns like I was talking about it with the Grizzlies as an incentive, a warm-weather destination, a new city that players are going to want to go to. And that's not going to be the case if this guy still is, is the owner of the team, regardless if he's suspended for this year. He wasn't, hasn't been forced to sell it yet. So that could be incentive not only for Chris Paul and Devin Booker to force their way out if that's the case, or but any other players, too, going there. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. When, when you look at the game and, and the way the game is played, and, and, and again, I look at Chris Paul and who Chris Paul is. Chris Paul is, is the face of the players' union. He really is. So if Chris Paul speaks out and he is saying the way he is feeling, when, and it took Chris Paul a while to come out and say something. We, yep. We're doing our show, and he finally comes out and says something. LeBron James has been speaking for the last 48 to 72 hours. Correct. So that's a problem. When you, your best player, your, your face of your organization is, is, is not speaking out and you have a complete, you know, ghost. And, and I mean ghost because he shouldn't be speaking up for Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a big man. He, he's the best point guard, I believe, in the NBA. He should be speaking up, not LeBron James, for the opposite side of, you know, the spectrum. Yeah, and I think you also look at a case, too, where LeBron is kind of defending his friend in Chris Paul, but also defending uh, political views that he's had for a while now, too. And we're trying to, we've seen the NBA really be politically advocating, especially when it came to the, uh, the bubble year. They were really pushing for that kind of thing, but they've kind of went away from it. But LeBron still has been pushing for it from an individual standpoint. But again, I think he's also protecting Chris Paul, too. It's one of his best friends in the entire league, and... This is a t- This is a guy that now has to deal with it twice. You were talking about with Donald Sterling. He had to deal with it with the Clippers, and that was already a terrible look to begin with, as it was. And once the Clippers got bought out, now they are one of the they have the richest owner in Steve Ballmer now. And maybe the Suns go through that too if if Sarver's forced to sell the team. But it's definitely not a good look for that kind of thing to to have that kind of thing. And if such a talented Phoenix Suns team now being hindered by that. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I think the game and the transition of where the game is going. Uh, with these new owners and and really the transition of the the money that's coming in from these TV deals, you have to make the right decision because they're only going to get richer. I mean, with now with uh, you're absolutely probably bringing in probably two or two new teams uh, in expansion, mm-hmm. you're going to see more money and more TV deals uh, distributed to all these different owners. So uh, that's. Definitely going to be something to look at when uh, Adam Silver... 
comes up with the new CBAs, new CBA laws and rules in the next couple of years. Yeah, I was hearing Vegas is a very big expansion point for the, for them right now, and there's also rumors of Seattle potentially getting the Supersonics back as a rebirthing type thing. I heard two or three teams. Yeah, and uh, it, it's probably and the gonna money be, that's going to come in from it. Yeah, it's going to probably be coming in in pairs, maybe an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference, or maybe four teams, two East, two West type thing. I haven't heard any big rumors of where the Eastern Conference destinations would be, but they're definitely pushing Seattle, both Seattle and Vegas too, especially with the success that Vegas has had with the Golden Knights. And even their WNBA team is very successful, and now the Raiders coming in with their big futuristic stadium they got there. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. It really is. So, so uh, the whole Sarver thing, we, we now we know that Chris Paul spoke out. Uh, is Chris Paul going to uh, not play this year? Uh, but, again, Sarver is going to be sitting out for the season – I'm wondering if Sarver's going to reach out, and I, I'm going to say this, Sarver could reach out to the players and sit down with the players and apologize for what he did and what he said, and maybe that'll clean up and fix up uh, what has happened. A year away from the team and the team. And now, is that going to hurt the team this year? Right. You know, being that your owner has said the things in there, said the things that he has said, and it, he's going to become – the center of attention to that organization now. I mean that that organization was growing. That that was one of the best teams you know in basketball for the last three seasons, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden you have this over your head. So it'll be interesting uh, moving forward. Uh, DeAndre Ayton getting his new contract. Do they trade him at the trade deadline when they can? Uh, obviously, they only brought him back because teams were willing to pay him. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they had any interest in bringing him back. But I think they wanted Kevin Durant, and maybe uh, if. Kevin Durant uh, wants out of the Brooklyn Nets at the trade deadline. Maybe that does happen. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. The next stage of the Barclays Circus. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, So, uh, and and again, before we get into our picks, we'll we'll preview the Rangers and Islanders if we have time. If we can't tonight, we'll do it next week. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know why we were doing it today. I think it's still pretty early. Uh, oh, you mentioned it yesterday. Yeah, so I but it to the list. I, I would I would wait until probably two weeks, but we could preview them next week on Wednesday. Oh, we'll go over it. We'll we'll go through the teams, and there's really nothing to talk about with the Islanders. I mean, the Islanders really made no moves this off season. Uh, maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> maybe it's a bad thing. I mean, a lot of experts think that this Islander team is fa- going to be fairly good, and uh, with the non-acquisitions and now having the home games and uh, no COVID now and all the different things that we saw last year and sitting out for a significant amount of time. I, I, a lot of people, even the experts that hate the Islanders think that the Islanders are going to be a team to be reckoned with, especially a second full year where Sorokin could be the number one guy where everybody believes he's the future of the NHL when it comes to the goaltending position. Right. As a matter of fact, there are experts that believe that he is better than Sestorkin. So uh, so we'll see. And I'm one of those guys. I know I'm an Islander fan, and I know a lot of people think that that's why I think that. But a lot of people believe Sorokin is, is the future of this, uh, the NHL at the goaltending position. Yeah, there's two things to look at. One, the, 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 the Islanders' floor was pretty much last year where they just had to go with everything crazy. And also, number two, this might be the least deep the Metropolitan has been in a while because the Penguins lost a lot in the offseason. I know they re-signed Latang, but they, lo- they lost – a lot of other defensemen. They lost some of the free agents they got or trade pieces they got. Well, they in brought Malkin years. back too. They brought Malkin back, but again, they still have to re- replace those guys. The Capitals are getting older now. They got worse last year. Are they going to 
improve at all. And then all the other teams, the Blue Jackets, the Devils, they haven't really done enough to rebuild enough. So I don't know if... I they, think the Devils got better. They should. We thought they'd gotten better in the last three years, and they never do. So I don't know when they're going to put it on the, on the ice yeah. for once. Uh, all these number one picks they've had and yep. the free agents, uh, P.K. Subban experiment, that didn't work. I mean, when is it actually going to happen is another question. Well, we'll see. So let, let's go into week number two. We'll go through the games, our thoughts in the games, and uh, and we'll we'll make our picks. We'll yeah, make our right. decisions on where we want to go and how we want to go with it. I had I had the Chargers winning this game. I really did. I had twenty to seventeen Chiefs. I actually thought it was going to be a lower scoring than expected. So it's twenty seven twenty four Chiefs right now with about a minute to go. Mm. I can't say the exact time. The Chargers just got a touchdown now. They'll probably need an. But we won't kick. use that game as our picks because I mean, how are we going to do that when the game's going right? On? So we're not going to be able to do that, but. Uh, we'll go through the schedule. Let me open up the schedule here, week two. You ready, Speedy? Yep. All right, let's go. All right. What do you got? Miami, Baltimore, Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. in Baltimore. This, I think, will be closer than expected. I was impressed with Miami's offense last week. The Ravens, uh, their defense did, did do well in certain aspects, but they did struggle against the pass-catching uh, running backs of the Jets, especially Michael Carter. And I think the, the Dolphins have a lot of those types of guys between Miles Gaskin and Chase Edmonds. I think that's a matchup Miami can expose. The problem is I don't know if those wide receivers will do as well against the Ravens secondary, which is loaded, and I think that'll end up being the difference in this game. It'll be a close game, I think a game of field goals. I think Lamar Jackson runs the ball well, doesn't throw as well as last week, but I think they do enough to win. I'm going to say 23-20 to 20, Ravens. Mm. I think this is going to be a fun game to watch. Miami showed what they have and the weapons they have. They have a lot of speed. They have Tyree Kill, who had a pretty decent game, almost 100 yards. Waddle had a touchdown, 64, 65 yards. They have the weapons. Tua played very well last week. Could he do it against a Baltimore Raven team that really rained havoc on the New York Jets on Sunday afternoon? Uh, it's not going to be raining in Baltimore. It's supposed to be a nice day. It'll be about 75, 80 degrees over there in Baltimore. I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Uh, the question is, who is going to play better defense and who's going to stop which quarterback? Both quarterbacks are you know, mobile quarterbacks that like to use their legs first, throw second. Um, the question to me is, is Lamar Jackson going to make this Baltimore Raven team the dominant force that we believe they're going to be throughout the season. I believe they will. I like Baltimore at home. I think they're going to be um, much better than the, the the New England Patriots were last week against the Miami Dolphins in Miami. Give me Baltimore 21-14. Jets, Cleveland. This is going to be a low-scoring game. I'm going to take the Browns, but I think it's going to be close because of what you were saying before. The Jets did a great job at stopping the run, and this is the predication of the of the Browns and what their offense is all about. And Sauce Gardner on Amari Cooper, that's probably something that favors the Jets with the way he played last week. Now, I think the play calling, Kevin Stefanski has been a lot more creative with the way they did it last week. I was impressed uh, with the way they used Kareem Hunt. I was impressed with the way they used some of their young receivers, and I think that'll make a difference. And the Browns' defense, I think, will end up winning this game. That pass rush lethal against a Jets offensive line that really struggled last week, and then a secondary that's very deep as well. So I'm going to take the Browns. I think it'll be a very close game. I'm going to say 17-13. You know, I, I want to pick the Jets in this game. I really do. But after that ranting and raving about them and, and really what we saw last week, if Mike LaFleur actually calls a game that actually shows me that my offensive players can make plays in the open field, maybe the Jets will win. The question is, can they stop Chubb? Can they ch stop Hunt? I think this is a better running team. Then Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, they didn't have J.K. Dobbins last week, and they still didn't, they couldn't run against the Jets. I think this is a better 
offensive uh, running game than the Baltimore Ravens were without J.K. Dobbins. I think they're going to be able to run against the Jets. The question is, is how much? And the wide receiving core. They only have Amari Cooper. If Sauce Gardner stops Amari Cooper, are they are they going to be able to put up the points against the New York Jets in the open field? I think the Jets match up very well against the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, the, the Cleveland Browns this week. I really do. But it's in Cleveland. I think it's going to be loud over there. And is Joe Flacco actually going to be able to move inside and out of the pocket and make the plays that he needs to? I think the Jets win this game. I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. I'm going to predict the Jets win the game um, 14-13 at the end of the game. The Jets win with a field goal kick. Another one-point game. We had so many of them in week one. I think the Jets will surprise, and it'll be a great conversation with Robert Sala taking receipts from all the press conference. From all the pressers and all the fans that were taking shots at the Jets. And that will be his bragging point to say, you see, I told you we're going to win. So um, I have the Jets winning 14 So basically you just had your your false CJD Simone moment. So you went on a big rant about the Jets, then you pick them to win. <laughs> I pick them out. I really pick them in the, win, the winning column because I don't know who. If Source Garner takes Amari Cooper out, who are they going to throw to? And if the Jets can stuff the middle and keep Chubb to, like, 70 yards and hunt to, uh, and hunt to 64 yards, who are they throwing to? Okay? There's nobody else on that, that field. They're tight ends. Give me a break. Are you going to gonna bet Hopper, right? It's Hopper. It's Najoku and Harrison Bryant. Hooper's uh, not there anymore. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hooper, it's, Hooper's no longer there. So, yeah. Harrison Bryant, I'm not going to trust. And uh, who's the other one? I'm Najoku. sorry. Najoku. Najoku. Najoku couldn't stay healthy over the last couple of years, and – he really hasn't been the tight end everybody thought he was going to be. They paid him a lot of money in the offseason. But I don't know if they're going to be able to do the things uh, that uh, the Baltimore Ravens did, even with the lack of wide receivers that the Baltimore Ravens had. They had more weapons than this Cleveland Browns team did. So I have the Jets just because of that. So there you go, 14-13 David Njoku hasn't been a, a pr- premier tight end of the first round, but he's still the best of the three first-round tight ends of that draft. There you go. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm picking the team. I'm picking the games. Um, Washington and Detroit. This is going to be a high-scoring game. I'm going to take the Lions. I think this is going to be very close. I was very impressed with Washington's offense last week, but Detroit's offense late in the game, too, I was very impressed with, too. Washington's still without Chase Young. So I think the Lions can really attack the edge. They have two good outside rushers. They have pretty good tackles, and I think that's going to be a match of advantage they play in. And I think their corners did a good job in certain aspects against the Eagles. Not against A.J. Brown in the beginning of the game, but kind of in the second half. They took out Devontae Smith, and Washington's going to be predicated on the receivers. They don't have a great pure runner. Uh, Antonio Gibson was good as a receiver, but running game still was a little iffy with that. I like the Lions in this one. I think they win it late. I think they win a high-scoring one, 30-27. I like what I saw with Washington last week. I like McLaurin. I think he'll have a better game this week. He had a touchdown, a, uh, a little bit over 100 yards. I, I like Gibson. I think Gibson's one of the more underrated running backs in the league. I like Dotson. Dotson showed you that he could be an extraordinary wide receiver when he figures out this offense, and, and he really makes it his own. I, I like this team. I like Carlson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz is going to go into Detroit and now play the guy that was drafted in front of him. I like Washington in this game. I think it's going to be a close game, a high-scoring game. 27-24, 
Washington. That's true. I forgot about that storyline. Yes. <laughs> Goff versus Wentz. Indianapolis, Jacksonville in <laughs> Jacksonville. Uh, can the Colts finally win there? They haven't done it in eight years, I think it is, and they lost in the playoff or to get into the playoffs they last year. They better win that game. This time, I think they will do it. I think they finally end their drought in Jacksonville. I think uh, they tied with the, the Texans last week. I think it will be ugly. There were some things with the Colts definitely you didn't like, especially on the defensive side of the ball against the Texans. I think Trevor Lawrence does play well. I just don't know if I necessarily try their defense. He didn't look well. He didn't look like he was playing well last week. I, I think he spread the ball around well. You're right. There were some questionable decisions, but I think he spread the ball around really well. Uh, but I think the Colts' defense, even though losing Matt Eberflus, they still have some talent in that secondary that I think it shut down the Jacksonville receivers. And their run defense has always been strong with that interior. So I think that'll help. And then I think uh, the Colts' offense will do some big plays, but that's really it. Close game, I'll say 24-17. I think the Colts' defense did not show up last week. I think they show up this week. Jacksonville's offense is just putrid. I mean, Robinson, uh, why can't James Robinson start? You know, I, I keep hearing about Travis Etienne. I think he was a high high draft pick who really, even though he missed last year, I don't know how good he is. I understand why they brought him in because he's Trevor Lawrence's room buddy and he was a, a part of that great Clemson team. I think the Indianapolis Colts are a much better team than people take them out to be. I think they have one of the best running backs in the league. I think they have a very underrated uh, wide receiver in Pittman who played very well last week. I I think he's going to play very well this week. I like what this team is going to bring. I think they're going to bring the fire defensively. Give me Indianapolis 31-14. to Tampa, New Orleans. I'm taking the upset here. I'm taking the Saints. I uh, no Chris Godwin for the Buccaneers. The Saints have always done a great job at stopping the run, which is a big reason they beat Dallas last week. Really, the only thing that worked on a consistent basis against Dallas, which their defense has some good pieces, but it's not an overly loaded defense. The Saints are loaded when they're healthy, and they showed it in the, in the second half against Atlanta. Did a very good job. And their offense, too. I think they could be able to space it out. Their offensive line still strong. I think Taysom Hill could be on some scramble plays could be an interesting factor in this game. And Marshawn Lattimore has owned Mike Evans in his career one-on-one. So I think that's going to be a tough matchup for the Buccaneers. So I'm going to take the Saints at home, 20-17. to Tom Brady has a real bad and real hard time beating the Saints in New Orleans. So I think this is going to be a big problem in this game. I like the Saints in this game. I like their – Alvin Kamara did not show up last week. I think he shows up this week. I think he has an unbelievable game. Uh, I think they, they've they been using Taysom Hill in a lot of these running packages. I think they do the same against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I love the weapons that they have. Michael Thomas played very well last week. They have weapons all over the field. I think this will be a game that Chris Olave really shows up and has one of those – games that a rookie you expect a rookie to have as a top first round draft pick wide receiver i like the saints in this game i think it's very close i think it'll be 24 20 the saints win the game um carolina giants this is going to be close. Both teams played it tight last week. The Giants obviously winning in thrilling fashion. The Panthers looked like they were going to come back and win and lose. Um, I'm going to take Carolina. I think there's two matchup advantages I really like with them, one of which is their interior rush on the defensive side against the Giants' offensive line that is pretty bad on the interior. You saw Jeffrey Simmons really carve up that defense. Uh, Saquon Barkley, I think, does run the ball well again for the Giants, but I don't know if they have as much success against the Panthers' secondary, which is still very strong. It wasn't the receivers that beat the, the Browns as much, or the Panthers. It was more Kareem Hunt and those guys. So I think the, I think the Giants do well that area, but that's really it. And the Panthers' wide receivers against the Giants' secondary that still didn't look great. And Christian McCaffrey, not from the running standpoint, but from the receiving standpoint, does well in this game. 24-20 Carolina. Honestly, I like the Giants in this game. I, I really do. I 
I saw what they did against Derrick Henry. They shut down Derrick Henry. DJ Moore is the only guy that really scares me. Robbie Anderson had a good game last week, and that's the only reason why, because they had the double team DJ Moore and take him out of the game. I believe the Giants are going to get enough, and they're going to be able to run against this defense with Saquon Barkley. I think this is the old Saquon Barkley. He's going to be expecting a huge contract in the offseason. Give me the Giants in the game. 2-0 New York Giants. 2017 win the game in their first home game of the season and make Dable a 2-0 coach. Pittsburgh and New England. This is going to be a really low-scoring game. Both these offenses were very sloppy. I think the Patriots, especially in the first half against Miami, were sloppy, and the Steelers really got away with having a lot of good field position because Joe Burrow was throwing a lot of interceptions. Um, I'm going to take the Patriots, though. I think they're just a little more efficient. I think Mac Jones, even though he's not going to have a great game, I don't think we'll be making four interceptions of those kinds of mistakes. Steelers know T.J. Watt losing it on their defense, and Bill Belichick has owned Mike Tomlin throughout his career. So I think it'll be a close game, low-scoring. I'm going to say New England 16-13. I, I want to take New England in this game, but it's in Pittsburgh, and, and something tells me this isn't the same Bill Belichick that we expect. And, and this could be an 0-2 season. We have never seen the Patriots start the season 0-2, and that's why I'm going to pick Pittsburgh. I, just something tells me, as of right now, Pittsburgh is a lot better than people expect them to be. They played the Bengals last week. They beat a very good Bengals team. I expect to go into Pittsburgh and, and, and New England to come out. They're going to have to put up a lot of points against a defense that I believe is a shutdown defense. We don't know where Watt is, and we don't know we know Watt will not be in this game. But I like this secondary. I think they match up very well against the Patriots. Give me Pittsburgh, twenty-one to eighteen. Uh, the L.A. Rams, Atlanta. I feel bad for Atlanta because they really hung tough last week against the Saints, and now they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. The Rams have their Super Bowl hangover, got blown out by the Bills, and now they get all this time, all this week to really get their refocused again. This is going to be an absolute blowout, I think. You look at the weapons that they have. I think they could spread out the slot area. The Saints did a great job in the slot area, and that's what Sean McVay really likes to emphasize with his wide receivers. Uh, Atlanta did do a good job in certain aspects of stopping Chris Olave, but Michael Thomas had a field day. I think Allen Robinson has a big game in this one. And that defense against the Falcons' offensive line, I think, is going to be a nightmare for them. So I'm going to say 34-17 to 17 Rams. Absolute blowout. I think the Rams are going to kill them. I think they're going to kill them. Matthew Stafford's going to have five touchdowns in this game. Uh, they're going to be able to run against this defense. This is not a good front seven. I love the Rams in this game. Cooper Cup has two touchdowns. Allen Robinson finally shows up in this game. I... I it, Van Jefferson gets a touchdown. Uh, I think they. I think this is Matthew Stafford's game where people shut up about his damn elbow. So give me the Rams in this game, thirty-eight to ten. They beat Atlanta in L.A. Uh, San Francisco, Seattle. A game that will be close for three quarters, and then I think the Niners will pull away. I, I think they redeem themselves. I think they get another like the Rams. They get more focused after it seemed like they played down and undisciplined against the against the Bears. I can't imagine Seattle. Seattle having a Seattle have a letdown too. That's the emotional game for them. They wanted to get their revenge on Russell Wilson. They did that. Now they have a bit of a letdown. I think they start a bit slow. Then they rally back, hung tough. But I think the Niners able to run. I think a big game for Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings against a bad secondary. Give me the Niners, thirty to fourteen. 
Oh, I like the Niners in this game, and and there's a lot of factors why. I, I think that the Niners' defense is going to show up in this game. They're going to shut down Geno Smith. They're going to make Geno Smith make the mistakes that we've seen Geno Smith do year in and year out with the New York Jets. I expect San Francisco to show up in this game. I believe they're going to use so many different packages offensively to dominate this game. And, and like you said, Hayuk, uh, Kittles might play in this game. He might not. Uh, the weapons that they have, uh, they're going to be able to put up points. I got San Francisco in this game, 24-14. to 14. Uh, Bengals, Dallas. I'll take the Bengals in this of one. I, I think I think the turnovers will not be there as much. Dallas's pass rush is not as worrisome as you saw the Steelers last week. Even when T.J. Watt went out, their blitz packages they used. Uh, outside of Micah Parsons, was really not a consistent one you could trust. Yes, Dan Quinn's a good defensive coordinator, but I don't think he has enough to attack that line. Too much receiving depth for that awful outside of Trayvon Diggs secondary. So I think the Bengals offense redeems themselves defensively. Your play against Cooper Rush it should be pretty easy. 27-14. There's no way Rush is going to beat Burrow. Okay, It's not going to happen. Burrow is not going to have the game that he had last week throwing four interceptions to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think Pittsburgh's a much better defense than Dallas is. Now, Dallas has Micah Parsons, and I think he's going to cause havoc. He's going to definitely uh, make Joe Burrow force the ball and, and throw the ball quick. But he's got the weapons. Boy, Jamar Chase, who's going to stop these guys? I, I can't see it. Uh, T. Higgins, I, I mean, this is just – and Mixon, who's stopping Mixon up the middle? I think the Bengals are the Bengals are absolutely going to destroy the Cowboys this week. The Cowboys are going to go 0 2. The Bengals are going to be 1 and 1, and we're going to be talking about the Bengals Super Bowl contenders again. I have the Bengals winning 30 to 14. Give me Cincinnati. Broncos Houston. Broncos will win, but it's going to be closer than expected. I was not impressed with the play calling. I was not impressed with the discipline, and I was worried about Nathaniel Hackett coming in. And the Texans are pesky. They're, they're like uh, Jordan was saying about the Seahawks. They will never surrender. They will never. They always play hard throughout the game. I think the Texans' defense showed a lot last week, uh, up until the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be that kind of game, very similar. And then the running backs will get it going late. Um, I would take the Texans to cover, but the Broncos will win the game. I have 23-13. I have the Broncos in this game. They're, there's no way they're going 0-2 oh going into week three. There's no way. Russell Wilson, I, I mean, in that division, they're as good as done if they go 0-2 oh in, in a division that's just so strong. I mean, you saw the Chargers tonight. You saw Kansas City tonight. I, 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 Kansas City's 2-0. and oh. Who would have thought they were going to be 2-0 and oh as early as they are? Uh, I like the Broncos in this game. I think it'll be close. Uh, I, I I would say 20 to 14, but uh, Houston's going to definitely play hard. I like Chris Mills. I like this team. I think they're playing hard for their coach, and that's all you ask for for a, a rebuilding Houston Texan team. So Broncos, 2014. Uh, Vegas. Arizona. Neither defense looked good last week, but I'm going to take the Cardinals for this reason. I think they have a lot of, they have the ability to spread the Raiders out, and I think the Raiders up the middle are good, but if Kyler Murray gets running and they could get that motion going, they have a lot of issues on the outside, and I think the, the Kyler Murray and the Cardinals will take advantage of that. I think the Raiders will keep them out in the red zone and make the game close. A lot of field goals, but here's the one other thing, too, is the Raiders' offensive line, and also they the, Cardinal, the Cardinals guard the middle of the field well, so I think that's going to be hard for uh, Josh McDaniels off offense that likes to use the middle. I think Darren Waller gets bottled up and contained in this game. Adams will go off, get his, but I think that'll be really it for the Raiders. So I'm going to take the Cardinals. Uh, they're better on the road, 
road too. They were like six and one on the, or six and two on the road last year, bad at home. So twenty three twenty Arizona. I, I like Vegas in this game, and I think they're going to actually use Renfro this week. Something they didn't do last week. Uh, I think he's a very important weapon to this team. Josh Jacobs is going to, going to be able to run against this defense. Uh, Josh Jacobs did show up last week. We saw him in all different packages. I like I like what Josh McDaniels showed uh, offensively last week. I think the 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 Oakland Raiders need to show up defensively this week, something they didn't do last week. Arizona, just all over the place. I think this is the last year we're going to see Kingsbury. Uh, Kyler Murray, who I think could be the MVP this year, will show up this game, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I think Derek Carr has one of those display games that we expect him to have, uh, throwing 300 and some yards, Adams, Renfro, and Waller. They're all going to cause a lot of havoc offensively. Give me Vegas in a close game, 24-15. Yes, 15 to the Vegas Oakland. <laughs> nice. Now, how does the 15 work? Are they going to safety or five field goals? I think five field goals. Nice. I don't think they're, going, <laughs> I don't think they're scoring any touchdowns in All this right. game. <laughs> um, Green Bay, Chicago. Packers will win this game, but I think, like I was saying with this, the 49ers, I think they'll get it going later in the game. The Bears' defense was very impressive. Granted the rain conditions, granted the Elijah Mitchell injury, but still, they stopped the run, which I think the, the Packers' offense is still going to be the focal point of that. You saw their receivers really struggle last week. I know the Bears' secondary is all young all at once, but I think you'll see some of those drops. I think it'll be one of those vintage Aaron Rodgers fourth quarters he has against the Bears. I think he'll have a big fourth quarter, and that'll win it for them. 27-4. Aaron Rodgers kills the Bears every year. Okay, he has their number. It's in Green Bay. I mean, that's an advantage. Um, Aaron Rodgers did not show up last week. Maybe the other players didn't show up either. They might as well have not played the game last week. I think this is going to be different. I expect Green Bay to show up. Uh, I think they'll score. I think Aaron Rodgers will put up a a pretty big number. I say a 30 spot. Um, I think we're going to see multiple Wide receivers catch the ball. I expect Jones, Aaron Jones, to have two touchdowns, a running touchdown and a catching touchdown. Uh, And Dylan's going to be running all over this team. I think Chicago's just, uh, they had a very good game last week because of the rain. It definitely worked out for them. They had the better running game. So give me Green Bay, 30-14. to Tennessee and Buffalo. Buffalo will win, but this game will be closer than expected. Tennessee has a good identity with Buffalo in the past. By the way, two Monday night football games. Yeah, they they usually do that in the first week of the season. They switched it to week two for some reason, yeah. Um, Tennessee did do a good job last year when it came to shutting down number one receivers, and that included that game against uh, Stephon Diggs. I think the Titans won that game more with the offense, but it was more Gabriel Davis going off in that game for the Bills, which I think is what you're going to see here. I think he's proved a lot in week one against the Rams. I know you didn't like that for your fantasy's sake, but... uh, the, the Bills offensive line showed a lot as well in week one, which will help against that pass rush that is still very good for the Titans. And then Derrick Henry, shut down by the Giants. Definitely not ideal. I think they got a little too cute in using him, too. I've been the Titans coaching staff for that. But that's definitely still a little bit concerning. So I'm going to take the Bills. I think it'll be close, 24-20. I think Derrick Henry will have a breakout game. I don't think the Buffalo Bills will be able to stop him as well as, as the Giants did. I think... They'll use the offense. Tannehill will throw the ball more in this game, which will open up the field for Derrick Henry. But Buffalo's winning this game. It's in Buffalo. I mean, we saw what Josh Allen is. He's an MVP candidate. He might win the MVP this year. Uh, he, he was my second guy that I would have picked under Kyler Murray. Uh, I, I just like what I've seen. Diggs, I mean, they have weapons in Gabe, da- Gabe Davis. I mean, they just don't have a running game. If they could figure out a running game, they'll be unstoppable this year. Their defense looked really, really good. Von Miller looked beastly. 
I, I, there's not a mit, there's not many weaknesses with the Buffalo Bills. So give me Buffalo in this game, 24-14. And Minnesota and Philadelphia. This will be as game as the game of the week. Yeah, I this think. game will be as yeah. good as uh, our guest Andrew DiCecco was talking about yesterday. This is going to be a thriller. I think this is going to be a very high-scoring game. I think the Eagles... Uh, the Eagles' offense matches up well against the way the Vikings like to play defense. I think the rollout type, the running, uh, pass-catching running backs as well, I think will make a difference. I think A.J. Brown has a touchdown, a heel, close to 100 yards. Um, I, but I also think the Vikings, with the receiving depth they have, will be able to take advantage of the Eagles' secondary. Their offensive line was impressive. I'll take the Eagles late. I just think I think they have a little more weapons to go to. Uh, not weapons to go to, but depth to go to against the Vikings' second or Vikings linebacking core that's a little iffy on the outside, outside of Kendrick. So I think the Eagles win close, high-scoring game, 35-31. I think uh, the Eagles boosting up that cornerback position in the offseason, adding two corners that are highly regarded in the NFL, is definitely going to help them against Justin Jefferson. I don't think they're going to stop Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen, I think, will be the guy to show up in this game and be that that secondary guy where he's going to have 100 yards in this game and maybe a touchdown or two. Uh, they're going to need that. Uh, Dalvin Cook will be able to run against this uh, Philadelphia top end front seven, even though I like the Eagles and what they showed uh, in week one. I, I don't know. This could go both ways. And a lot of people would pick the Eagles. I'm one of those guys. I am an Eagles guy right behind the New York Jets, and I want to pick the Eagles. But something tells me Minnesota is going to show up, and yes, a guy like Kirk Cousins is going to show up and knock off a guy that I'm not, still not going to sell on, and I, I'm, and you know who I'm talking about. You do know who I'm talking Hurts, about. Yeah. Yes, uh, Jalen Hurts, who still needs to prove himself. I don't know going into a big game where I'm going to trust Jalen Hurts. I trust Kirk Cousins. Uh, I'm going to give this to Minnesota. Minnesota wins a game in Eagleville in Philadelphia, 21-20. They win a very close game, field goal, uh, which makes Minnesota 2-0. And the Eagles, 1-1. One one. Wait, the Vikings making a game-winning field goal? That yes. doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and that's why I am going to pick that. Uh-huh. So, there you go. Our football games of the week, our picks. Uh, we will pick our top three going into the weekend crunch. And, uh, you know, we keep scores on that one. Yeah, you're, you're up at the moment, thanks to the Chiefs blowing out the Cardinals. I picked Arizona last week, and that did not bode well for me. Uh, we both got the Chargers right, and we both got the other one wrong. So I'm 2-1. and one. Yep, you're in the lead. Yeah, you're in the lead by one right now. You're, yes. you're, you were 2-1. and what, what are you? I was... I was one and two. I was one and two because I got the Vikings right, but I didn't get the over under right, so right. I know, I, that doesn't count. So you got the you got the Chiefs right, and we both got the Chargers right. So you have I have two. a lot of uh, interesting picks this week. Yes, you do, and I, I think it'll be fun. And when we pick the three games, I'll let you pick the three games, and we'll go over it on the weekend crunch. And I'll probably stick by my picks on this show because I, I don't know. I, I think the Giants are a lot better than people think they're going to be. I told you that. I, I told you that before the season started. I, I think they, they can win nine games, maybe even ten games with Dable. I, I think they're I, I think the way it's set up for the Giants, they could win three games in a row. And and I, I believe they could go three and oh and, and and you're gonna be hearing Dable's name be in the talk of the town. What a what a pickup, what a this. Uh, he's the next big coach the Giants should you know you know, since Tom Coughlin, you know. So I, I like what I've seen so far with Dable. I think his play calling is superb. Uh, we understand what he, he knows he has with Daniel Jones, and he didn't push him to do more than what he could do. Right. 
So that's something that you see with a good coach and a good offensive mind as we see what Josh Allen is. Maybe Dable changes everybody's outlook to Daniel Jones. I've said this. Daniel Jones does not need to throw 300 and some yards and four touchdowns to be a, a good quarterback, a quality quarterback that can help you win. If you have a quarterback that can make every single throw, use his legs when he needs to, not drop the ball, not throw interceptions, and do the things that you need to do and make you, and help your defense win those games, the Giants are going to win a lot of games. They don't need a star quarterback. Yeah, it depends on a lot of things with the Giants, with their defense and their offensive line, too. But, yeah, Daniel Jones is not going to do Josh Allen-level types of no. things to be Maybe efficient. in the future. Maybe he could. Yeah, I maybe. Know. I don't maybe. think – the efficiency is the key with Daniel Jones because he's had issues he with turnovers. He was pretty efficient yes, uh, yeah, uh, right. last week. He, he was. was. He was. I think, again, two things with him is the, the sensing pressure, which he still has to work on a little bit, and then also, again – the simple throw, sometimes he misses those screen passes. He like forced that, that interception. Yeah, that was a really bad interception. He forced that interception. Besides that, every single thing he did on the field was perfect. Right, because there was no pressure on that interception either. He just rolled that to the left a little bit because that was the design of the play. The offensive line on the left side held up very well between Andrew Thomas, who was fantastic, and then Geddesen, who played well at the left guard spot. And there was no pressure on that. So that one, yeah, definitely was all on him. But beyond that, his deep throws, his tight throws were good last week. And I... I, I joked about it on the weekend crutch. Sterling Shepard actually got a deep touchdown. That's yeah. the first time that's happened since his rookie year. Absolutely. He's always a short route guy and middle of the field type guy. And he, they actually had him on a deep route. Daniel Jones threw a very nice pass to get it there. And that gave him a lot of credit. And remember, this was with Kadarius Tony limited, too. So that's a good adversity thing for Daniel Jones and Wondell Robinson out of that game, too. You have to be excited for what you're seeing with the Giants, okay? And the Giants are rebuilding. And even though they're a rebuilding team with the way their schedule is set up, the, their schedule, okay, should be the Jets' schedule. The Jets are, have been one of the worst teams in the NFL for the last 10 years. In the last three years, their schedule has been one of the worst and the hardest schedules in all of football. Why the NFL does that, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. If you're a bad team, you should have an easy schedule the next year. I understand it's the way they set up the divisions and stuff it's like a pattern, that. pattern, yeah. I, I don't care. If you're a bad team, you should be getting all the easy games. If you're And the Jets, what were they, the fourth worst team in the NFL? They were the worst team in a division. Yeah. Why is it that their schedule is so difficult? So it, it doesn't make any sense, but... Again, the NFL doesn't make sense sometimes. Well, it's so limited on the games. It's very. It, it's the only one that you could differentiate the schedule being that drastically different because, obviously, in any other sport, the division or the conference could be fluctuated differently. But still, the schedule, because there's so a large amount of games. And I'm not change. saying this because I'm a Jet fan. I'm just saying it for what I've seen. Well, yeah, the, the, way the, the way the fluctuation of the conferences just got so extreme from the AFC to the NFC now is a lot, a lot more drastic to make the AFC East and the AFC South schedules very hard as a result because they have to play the other division too. And also, in, in essence, made the AFC West because they also play the NFC West mm -hmm. and they got to play their own division too. So the way that ended up turned out to be where the pattern boded well for those very difficult AFC conferences right. uh, divisions. Outside of the North, I would say the North one still is pretty pretty favorable. NFC South, AFC East, there's some hard teams for sure, but it's not like as big of a combination as well, especially with the AFC West is had to go mm -hmm. to and the AFC East. And then in the NFC, the NFC South has a brutal one having to play the NFC West and the AFC North. It's, it's going to be so interesting watching some of these teams and, and the way they're set up, especially with the NFC East being as easy as it is. 
Is Philadelphia the team to beat in the NFC East? I'm telling you right now, Washington's going to be good throughout the season. I think they have a very good defense, and they have enough weapons to win. They do. They have a good running game. Gibson is a star. I think he's he's going to he's going to explode even better than he did last year. Uh, he can catch. He can run. He can do everything. And uh, McLaurin, uh, I think he's a great wide receiver. Dotson is the other weapon that they needed to add to help McLaurin out to take the pressure off of him. And and Carson Wentz, if he limits getting himself into trouble, like even last week, he had two interceptions, yeah. threw four touchdowns. But the two interceptions he had were like, you shake your head, why did you throw that? I mean, like... But then he makes these throws that you're like, wow. I mean, this guy can play. His so, arm talent's good. His decision-making, not always. So, I, I mean, uh, he's going into Detroit. Uh, and to me, if they can win this week, I, I mean, it puts them in a good position. And they had a good game. Week one, they played well. Washington played well. And and, and right now, the division. Washington's what, – what's Washington's? They're 1-0. Yeah, everyone won except Dallas in the division. <laughs> I, I mean, all three of those teams could go 2-0. All three of those teams could go 2-0. Mm-hmm. And, and the NFC East, where everybody says is the weak division, they, they, a lot of surprises. The Giants, a lot of people didn't pick the Giants to beat Tennessee, what they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, everybody expected Washington to win. I did. I expected Washington to win. Did you pick Washington to win? Yeah, I did. And, um, and the Eagles, everybody expected to win as well, yeah. which was a very close game. But shout out to Detroit to put on uh, the clinic that they did in the fourth quarter. But... Uh, it, it's it's going to be fun this year. It really is, and there's no guarantees to any of these teams in any of these divisions. I will tell you this. I think the Patriots are going 0-2. When was the last time you could remember a Patriots of Bill Belichick's uh, you know, teams to go 0-2? Nobody. Now, the last time I remember any overreactions was the, uh, the 2014 Mac when Jones they started 1-3. <laughs> Mac Jones looked horrible. He yeah. really did. He looked horrible. Now, maybe it's because the Patriots don't have any weapons to throw to. I don't know what it is. They added Parker, and I, I think they got him on a cheap. Where, where was he on Sunday? It's a big-bodied receivers don't work well in that system. You just saw it as well with Nikhil Harry, Malcolm Mitchell. They drafted. He did well in the Super Bowl, but he had a tough time developing. There was a couple other second-round picks. Their offensive coordinator is a defensive well, coordinator. Also that, but still. I mean, come I on. Think Outside that I can remember in my time watching football, the only one I remember like even having a semi-decent season was Brandon LaFell when they brought him in from the Panthers that one year in like 2013. Big-bodied receivers don't strive in that system. And maybe Defonse Parker is the next one of that because you're right. It was Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne on the field the most. It, this It's going to be fun. Uh, week two, there is not many games that really stand out week two. I, I mean – there might be three games that I'm looking forward to seeing. I mean, tonight's game was the game that everybody was looking forward to. Um, Miami and Baltimore will be an interesting game because yes. Miami showed that they could play this year and, and they might compete in the AFC East, especially with the Patriots and the way the Jets have played. Uh, I, I mean, they could be the second team and maybe surprise uh, Buffalo because Buffalo has had problems playing Miami over the years. Um the other games, uh, I'm looking at some of the other games. Uh, Tampa and New Orleans, that's going to be a game to watch. Tom Brady going back to the, you know New Orleans. The last time he went to New Orleans, they lost. So I, I'm interested to see what Tom is going to do in, uh, in New Orleans. The so, last four times in the regular season they've lost. Yeah. They won the playoff game, yes. though. Um, the Giants in Carolina, because I, I, Baker Mayfield going to New York and 
May, I, I want to see what Dable's going to do again. I, I, everybody keeps talking about Pittsburgh and the Patriots. That's not a game that stands out to me. Um, Arizona and Vegas is something that I definitely want because this could be a playoff game. Two really good teams. and This could be a Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but Arizona's a pretty – Vegas is expected to be a good team this year. And so is Arizona. Um and the other games, I would say Minnesota and Philadelphia. I don't think Buffalo and Tennessee is going. I think I think Tennessee is going to be really bad this year. Wow, I really do. Really bad. Huh? I think they're going to be really bad. I think they're going to start the season zero and three. Wow. All right. I I do I do. I mean, let's look at their schedule because we had the Tennessee guy on. Yes, uh, John Glennon. Yeah, John Glennon a couple weeks ago, and I want to go to their schedule. Where where could I find their schedule over here? Go to go to Tennessee schedule. I, I want to go through their games, and I'm uh, we'll we'll see what we predict they're going to win because they're going to lose this week. They're All right. Gonna... So uh, at Buffalo, the next uh, next week they're home against the Raiders. They lose. Uh, we'll see on that. Uh, Titans Colt at the Colts uh, week four, and then they're at the Commanders. They'll lose against the Colts at the Commanders week five. Then They'll beat the Commanders. Then they're home against the Colts week six. They'll lose both games against the Colts. Wow! Wow! That's interesting. <laughs> Uh, Texans home or Texans on the road week seven. They'll beat the Texans uh, at Chiefs week. They'll eight. lose against the Chiefs. Uh, home against the Broncos. They'll lose against the Broncos uh, at Packers week. Here's the problem: Who are they throwing to? That's 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 the question. They're going to be able to run the ball, but teams are going to figure out to stack the box. That's why I should have never drafted Derrick Henry because I keep forgetting who are they throwing to. I mean, if AJ Brown was there. I, I think uh, I expect this is going to be a pretty good offense. This this offense is no good without A.J. Brown. It really isn't because now teams know what they're going to do. They're going to give Derrick Henry 30 touches and expect Derrick Henry to run and trample all over those defenses. That being said, though, they, they didn't do it against the Giants. They actually shied away from it more in the second And that's half. why they lost. And they got a little too cute with it at times, but it was also more of the backup guys that were beating the Giants. Dontrell Hillard had two touchdowns. Kyle Phillips was doing well as a slot receiver. It wasn't really Derrick Henry anyway. He had a couple big carries in the first quarter, and that was it. Like They were able to be taken out that. They were, they're starting receivers did well too i'm not saying tell me that schedule again i'm gonna i'm uh, just quickly so they're uh they're home against the raiders week three they're gonna be oh and three right there they're losing against bubble buffalo they're losing against the raiders and then they're at the colts week four they will lose at the commanders week five and then they have a bye week they'll beat the commanders okay, okay. i'll predict they'll beat the commanders <laughs> Their first win of the season is in week five okay. yes then they have a bye week and they're home against the colts which you said they lose. they'll lose so they're, they're at one texans at chiefs they'll beat the texans they'll lose it they're one in they're they're one in six wow this is brutally bad. Uh, Broncos um, at home. And then what's going to happen is they're going to be a top 10, you know, draft pick. They're going to get a top 10 draft pick, and they're going to draft that quarterback. Mm. That's what's going to happen. Uh, Malik, Unless Malik Willis got no, after a year. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think they're going to. You're, you're going you're gonna to sell to me that if you're in a top 10, you're going to take Malik Willis over. No, no, I agree. I'm just saying. They're gonna just of any of those other quarterbacks <laughs> that they can draft, they'll trade no, Malik. No, I, I agree they they'll should. Trade, they'll trade Malik. I don't know if they will. We'll see. They'll trade Malik. Uh, then, yeah, at Packers. Then they're home against the Bengals and at Eagles. They'll lose against the Packers. They'll lose against the Bengals. And then at Eagles. 
They'll lose against the Eagles. Uh, oh, then they found out they get to play the Jaguars after all that. At they'll beat the Jaguars. At the Chargers, which I know you'll pick they'll lose. They'll uh, lose the Chargers. The home against the Titans, home against the Cowboys. The Titans, and then they are the Titans. Or Texans, home against the they'll Texans. They'll beat the Texans. Uh, home against the Cowboys. They'll beat the Cowboys. And at Jaguars. And they'll beat the Jaguars. So you'll have like 6-11, and 11, I love what it looks like. They're going to win six games, no more than that. Wow. All right. I, I don't. Big fall off. I, I really don't find them to be good. I I. I I know having Glennon on, and he, he thinks that they're going to – what did he predict, 10 games? 10 and 7, which is the same thing I had, too. No, nah, I don't think they're winning 10 games. Mm. I, after watching that Giant game, there's no way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was one of the wins I had for them. <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> I didn't way. trust the Giants to do as well defensively as they did. There's no way they're winning 10 games. There's no way. I, I don't think they're going to be able to score enough points. Now, I will say that they were one of those teams last year that did do well against – like good teams, and they sh- they played down at teams. Like kind of like what I was saying with the 49ers when we had Jordan on. Like they did lose very random games too, but they also beat three out of the four teams that were in the conference championship games last year. But then they also then they also lost some other games they shouldn't have lost. They got bl- blown out by Arizona. They um, they lost one of the Col- They lost one of the Colts when they were bad mm. when they started off the season really bad. Um, there were a couple other ones too in the AFC North too. Like games they shouldn't have lost, they lost, and then they win against those teams. So maybe the Titans are that team. I don't know. We'll see. Horrible. They're going to be eleven. Mm-hmm. They're going to be horrible. I, I th- even with Indianapolis, I think they pull away in this division. And, and by the way, I think the best, the second best team in this division this year, the Texans. Wow. So the Texans go 7-10 and 10 and They'll the Titans win go 6-11. and 11. I mean, what I've seen with the Texans, even on week one, they had no business being in that game, okay? They had no business being in that game. And Chris Mills, he's, he's the real deal. I, I think he's a, he's a good quarterback. I think he's a quality quarterback. And I think they're a lot better than people think they're going to be. I really do. I think they're playing for their coach. And uh, I think this will be the only year their coach will be there because I, I believe if they go seven and ten, that should not happen. But who knows with the way this lawsuit's happening in the, Why the NFL? Not? The Texans are one of those teams roped into it, along with the Giants and the Lions, and obviously Miami. I think that I think the Texans could win to, uh, seven games this year. I do. I. I, I they have one tie. I mean, that's that's, yeah, that's true. Way. Oh, so that's right. It can't go seven and ten. So it's it would be seven nine and one or six nine and or six ten and one. Honestly, and they still will be ahead of the Titans. Honestly, I, I might be a little 10. crazy. They're going to win seven games. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that but, would be like a miracle type season. If I, I would say Tennessee is still the second best team in the division, but they're they're not winning more than six games. I think Indianapolis will pull away in this division. They'll win nine or ten games. That's all they need. Uh, and they'll they'll be the best team in that division. I, I, I Tennessee. I just I, I don't know where they're going to get their offense in the in the wide receiver position when they start playing these better defensive teams. Even the, the Giants aren't a good defensive team. No, they're not. They're not. And, and the Giants outplayed them defensively in the in the fourth quarter in the second half. Well, again, the Titans kind of beat themselves with their coaching, and that's uh, that's one of the things. It's called they stop them. running the ball, and, and and you have to give it to the beast. Keep feeding them the ball. Keep the ball out of Tannehill's hands. I'm surprised they didn't do more passing or at least receiving with him just to have a diversion of attention, too, because the Giants were stopping the inside run pretty well in the second half. Maybe throwing a screen pass here and there to with Derrick Henry, too, and make it work that way. Could have tried that. But uh, uh, What are your thoughts of Zach Britton returning uh, in the postseason? I, I think that's a little – I would bring Zach Britton 
you know, in maybe two or three games before the season's over, see what you have with him. You can't go into the playoffs, take a roster spot, take one of these pitchers out of a roster spot, and trust that Zach Britton is the same pitcher hmm. you had two years ago before he uh, had Tommy Johns. Right. Not I, only I, this is crazy. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I would I would definitely do it where you give him. Maybe give him the last two weeks. Uh, no, it's two weeks. Maybe last, last three week games. and a half of the season. Last three games. I, I would say you could space out three games, maybe three different situations to make it work, if, if you could make it work that way, just to get him acclimated. Because you don't know what kind of, not in addition to how he comes back with his own pitching, what role he's going to be used in in the postseason, too. Because that was one of the biggest things that Aaron Boone's been criticized for in the second half is trying to figure out how to adjust with these relief pitchers. And this will be another big stage. And I don't know why you're trying to force it on him right in the postseason. So I'm with you. At least th- give him three, four games. Pitch him once in the seventh, once as a closer maybe to try it out, and maybe once as a stretch guy. I think it's a big mistake. Yeah. And, and, and why is it taking him so long to get acclimated to the major leagues? This is a major league pitcher. This has been, he's been one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. Okay, he, he at one point Cy Young candidate twenty sixteen. He, he was one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. So and now all of a sudden he's still fairly in very good shape. I, I think he's still fairly young. I think Zach is like 34, 33. I mean he's still fairly young. He still could pitch a couple more years. Uh, he he doesn't rely mainly on his fastball anymore. I mean he's got a ton of pitches. His changeup's pretty good. So uh, I I don't know. Yeah, he's 34 right now. Turns 35 after the season. It's still fairly young. I think he has another two good years left, three good years left at at the pitching position, especially missing two years of it. So, I don't know, man. I I would say it's better than obviously not bringing him back at all, but still, you you still would want to have him acclimated in the regular season rather than just trying to throw him into the fire in a role that he hasn't been in a significant role in like that. I would say probably since the 2019 postseason, too, because even yeah. in 2020, he didn't pitch much either in that postseason. Obviously, last year, they only had the one game, so you can't really judge that on a small sample. I don't even remember if he pitched in that game, but still, Zach Britton can't be thrown into that when you don't know what role he's going to be when he comes back. Try him out in three different ways and see what works for the postseason before the postseason, Aaron Boone. It's going to be interesting. It really is. And then uh, Luis Savarino could be back as, as quick as next week. Mm. Is that a good sign for the Yankees? Absolutely, because now you can, I you don't lo- use Luis Severino as your your top four, top three starter in in the playoffs. He hasn't had enough pitching and enough time on the mound this year. He missed another year, and he's a free agent after this year. And mm-hmm. and because of his injuries, he's not going to get a big contract because nobody is going to trust that his arm and his shoulder is going to stay, uh, you know, healthy enough. Uh, so. This could be good for the Yankees because if they have to overpay for Aaron Judge, they can get a deal on Luis Severino. Yeah. So it might be a good thing and a good sign for the New York Yankees that this is happening. But um, Luis Severino should be the long long arm in your bullpen in the playoffs. If if you are in trouble and your your player, you know, obviously uh, Garrett Cole gets into trouble and they're they're three nothing in the third. Third inning, you could bring Luis Severino to pitch three or four innings or five innings, and, and, and trust that he has the stuff that can get you deeper into the uh, the game where you have a chance to win. Yeah, game four or five type stretch guy in a longer series. If the Yankees get to that point in the second round of the playoffs, could definitely be a possibility because Severino in the postseason has been very streaky himself, even in his peak. So you do want to acclimate him back. And a lot of people were criticizing Aaron Boone last year for 
putting him in the bullpen when they first when he came back from the injury initially. But I thought that was a good thing based on what his role was going to be. Whether he came back as the same as a pitcher, he had a good stretch when he did come back uh, at the beginning of this year, but uh, still has been kind of up and down as a Yankee too. So another guy you want to figure out your well, role in too. And that's that's going to be up to Aaron Boone, and and where Aaron Boone believes the Yankees are going to be in the next couple of weeks. I mean, the Yankees are positioned very well. I, I thank God the Yankees started playing. I mean, they were historically bad. Yeah, they have been bad. But now the last couple of weeks, uh, they're starting to, you know, have a little breathing room. Uh, you know, the Blue Jays and Tampa are beating the hell out of each other, which is a good sign for the Yankees because, uh, you know, Tampa won tonight eleven nothing. That's wow. all good for that's that's all good for the Yankees right. because the Blue Jays have been, you know, beating the hell out of Tampa. So Tampa was seven games out of first place. Now. Uh, obviously, uh, now they're only they're still seven games out of first place, and the Yankees right now is sitting pretty six and a half for Toronto. They're going into a series where the Yankees, I think, they're playing Milwaukee. The Yankees have won four games in a row. They're eight and two in their last ten games. They're, the Yankees are getting hot again, and in the right time. Yeah, this is the right time for the Yankees to get hot going into the playoffs, where they're starting to get some breathing room with these teams behind them. And and that's what you want. You want to make sure that you do not have to play in any of the wild card games. Even though I think it benefits the Yankees to play in the wild card games cuz usually those wild card teams going into those series have the advantage against the teams that are sitting for a week. But I think the Yankees need to rest. I think the Yankees need to get healthy. We'll never know yet for baseball how that's going to be acclimated because it's the difference with football too when they had the bye weeks with the one and two seeds in the past. And it was generally more of a sample that favored the one and two seeds a little more. But there were always certain years. Obviously, the Cowboys when they were the one seed last year with Tennessee. But still, baseball, I think it will depend more on the team whether they need to get back from injuries and also the way they're structured. Because remember, it's a three-game series. So if you can take away that series early, then you start the next series with your three and four type starters. Or if you there's a long enough game in between or time in between, you go back to your ace. So the timing of it will matter, too, for those types of series. It's going to be fun. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, there's two and a half weeks left of baseball. Uh, the Yankee schedule definitely favors them. They're, they have the least busy hard schedule out of the three teams that are fighting for that that that's that division champion and i being that the blue jays and tampa have to play another series against one another the yankees schedule is is fairly easy right one of them will be done at that point yeah i i mean the yankees have two more games they have um tuesday and wednesday they people they have milwaukee this weekend friday saturday and sunday and they, if they win one or two out of those games, they're positioned. Then they play Pittsburgh. They should run right through Pittsburgh. Then they got Boston again. Mm-hmm. This That should be an they, And they have Toronto three games. And then they have Baltimore the final game of the season. I, I mean, Milwaukee will be interesting because they're fighting for a playoff spot. Right. But Pittsburgh, they should win. They should beat both. They should beat them both games. And then they have Boston not in Yankee Stadium. Both games are at Yankee Stadium. So I, I think most of let, listen, let's look. They're going to Milwaukee. They, they play Milwaukee one, two, three. They have one, two, three, four, five, six away games, and the rest are home games. Wow. All one, right. two, three, four, five, six, seven. They have seven home games. The Yankees win half of those. They win the division. Yeah. They win the division hands down. Mm-hmm. So – and I believe they will because the Boston 
Boston, the Red Sox are done. And I, I think they know they're done. And Pittsburgh knows they're done. So, And, and, and Baltimore just wants to play, um, you know. They want to play. They what's what's the best word? Spoiler. Spoiler. They they want because Baltimore's done too. They they were done after that series that they had uh, recently where they lost. So three if they get a winning games. season, that'd be pretty impressive. It's a great. Huh? It's a it's a great season for uh, uh, Baltimore. Yeah. I think that next year will be Baltimore's year. Yeah. Where they'll be fighting for a playoff. Yeah, they're spot. gonna have a lot of money to spend because they have barely any payroll right now. <laughs> uh, the question is, are they gonna spend the money? Yeah. You know, so I mean, yeah, their their owners not notoriously cheap though. They just that's that's bad contracts in the past. It's gonna be fun. It will be fun. That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we will be back next week on Wednesday. I'm I'm we're shooting for seven o'clock, but it might be nine o'clock. It depends on I, I would say seven o'clock. Let's let's push for seven o'clock on on Wednesday. Uh, so it'll be our new time, 7 o'clock on Wednesdays and, and obviously Thursdays at 9 o'clock. I'd like to thank uh, Jordan Elliott and my rant. Sorry to Jordan, but I think he liked it. The CJ Simone moment. <laughs> I think he liked it, but I don't know about CJ Simone. No, he was like full just jet fan right there. Oh, dude, I wanted to bang my head against the, you know, the desk. I know man. you did. <laughs> I mean, I'm tired of watching this garbage. I really am. I'm just tired of watching the, the Jets play. If they don't win this week, and this is a game they should win, they should win this game. If they don't win this week, even with Joe Flacco, I'm going to be sick to my stomach because as good as that defense is, that offense, they have one weapon in the open field, one, that they have to worry about. Put Sauce Garner on him or DJ Reed on him. You put, you put you know, Sauce on a Joku, whatever. Put him... Put a mark, put sauce on Amari Cooper to shut him down, and then put DJ Reed on a Joker. I don't care how you do it. You should win with the weapons that you have offensively and and the defensive weapons that you have. I don't want to hear any excuses. There's none more. There's no more. No more with them taking receipts. Go out there and play the <laughs> damn friggin' game. And then there's your offensive line. <laughs> well, I think they'll play better. They're gonna have to against that pass rush. I think they'll play better. Uh, Lincoln Tomlinson is not that bad. We know, but that's a little bit tough pass for us. Yeah, I know. All right. Uh, we'll be back next week on Wednesday. Listen to the Weekend Crunch on Saturday at 7 p.m. on 103.9. If you don't live here on Long Island, you check us out on iHeartRadio, LI News Radio. Check us out. Uh, again, I uh, hope everybody had a good time. We did. Thank you for listening to our crazy show, as always, and we'll be back next week. Good night, everybody. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.